Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. of Harry Lyon, the fabulous stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture, The Third Man. That was the shot that killed Harry Lyon. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. For those of you who know who saw the movie, The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyon. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyon had many lives. And I can recount all of them. How do I know? Very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyon. Hello there, this is Diamond. You know, this business I'm in can get pretty silly sometimes. I can go along for a whole month and get by on nothing but meals at the automat and a dozen laughs a day. The funny ones usually pay just as well as the tough ones, but eventually somebody starts something that's about as funny as an open grave. Here is your guide to these adventures of the mind. Now, here is OTR Rob. Hey, everyone. This is OTR Rob. Welcoming you to another edition of Richard Diamond Private Detective. This episode is from February 12, 1950. The episode is entitled... The Elaine Tanner case, and I have to say this is probably the best-sounding episode of Richard Diamond, Private Detective, I've heard in a long time. And for no particular reason whatsoever, that in that it sounds great. I, I like this episode um, all the way through. And after that is The Lives of Harry Lyme, starring Orson Welles, from November 2nd, 1951, the episode is entitled The Mexican Hat Trick, I Wish I Knew What That Was, and The Saint from April 1st, 1951. The episode is entitled Simon Carries the IV, and The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from December 26, 1948. The episode is entitled Old Acquaintances. I may have played this before, but I thought it bears repeating. 
And so we're going to let you hear it again. And after that, and I guess I expect to get some nasty remarks on repeating an episode. I'm just trying to keep the continuity together is all. And uh, so if you want to complain or bitch and moan or whatever, it's otrrob50 at gmail.com. I very seldom get any emails, even vicious ones. So anyway, I'd like to give a vicious, mean email if you want to send me one. And you know the email address. Just do it and see what happens. But more than likely, I will answer the email. <laughs> Following in the rear is Box 13 from January 9th, 1948. The episode is entitled Damsel in Distress. It seems that almost every detective show has that title in it at one point or another. It's a popular title. I just hope that the plot isn't the same as there is in other shows, but that makes no difference here nor there. Enjoy all these episodes, and I'll see you all back here next week, God willing, and the creeks don't rise. Wear your mask, social distance, get that vaccine to protect yourself and your loved ones and others around you. It's a nice community afterthought. To stay in the community that you love is to please get your vaccination and do it as quick as possible so we can have 4th of July with our families. Enjoy. Broadcasting Company presents Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Walk this way, Diamond. If I do, well, I tell my friends. Hey, this is the morgue. Yeah, wise guy. You should feel right at home here, Otis. Oh. Hello, Rick. Hiya, Walt. What goes here? I want you to take a look at someone. You know who this is, Rick? Oh, the poor little devil. He was murdered, huh? Yeah, shot right in the back. Here's another exciting half hour with Richard Diamond, private detective, starring Dick Powell. Yeah, yeah, you've done something. Uh, how do you do? Are you the manager of this little uh, haven of rest? A boarding house, boarding house. I run it, I run it. I heard you both times. Uh, what do you want, huh? What do you want? Information, information. Your move. You nuts or something, huh? You nuts? I'm looking for a girl. I What's thought... a matter? Read the sign, read the sign. It says rooms for rent. Rooms. Beat it, beat it. You know, if you ever get around to running at 33 and a third, you'll save a lot of breath. Smart guy, real smart guy. No, I got to work. Got to work. Wait a minute. Now, wait. Here's $5 if you can tell me about a girl named Elaine Tanner. For 10 bucks, I couldn't tell you a thing. Don't know her. Don't know her. She lived here? So, it's a secret from me. A secret. Now, Here, 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 here. Take a look at the snapshot. A man and a girl. 
Do you know the girl? Mister, I got maybe 10, 20, 30 different people every month. Every month. They come, they go, they pay rent. That's all I care. They pay rent. All right, all right. Did this girl ever pay rent here? Maybe I remember her face. I never remember no names. No names. Is anybody living in her room now? Why, you want to know, huh? Huh? Well, I'll tell you a secret, But The girl is my sister. When we were little kids, my mother and father ran away from home to become acrobats in a circus. This broke up my sister, and she left too. Now, Mama and Papa are back, and I want the whole stinking family together again so we can take the light out of the window. <laughs> sure. For ten bucks, for ten bucks, maybe I'll show you her room. All right, you're in business. Now, here's your ten. Thanks. The fingers are mine. Uh, this way, down this way. How long does she live here? Oh, not long, not so long. Maybe two weeks. Then what? <laughs> then comes an old guy one day. Yeah, an old guy, and... Uh... And what? She goes away with him. And you know what else? Yes, I know what else. The old guy was the same guy in the snapshot I showed you a minute ago. He was with a girl. Sure, sure. Okay, okay, look around, look around. She ain't any of them drawers, she ain't. Or that cupboard, she ain't. She ain't no place. Now, tell me, did she leave anything here at all? Just junk, junk. Newspapers, magazines, newspapers. So she was a bookworm. Well, okay, I guess that's it. Let's go. Let's get out of here fast. Uh, who are they shooting at? Who's who in that they... house next door where the shots came from? People. Thanks. Uh, they're shooting at you. They're shooting at you. Know anybody who wants to get rid of you? Nobody, nobody. Oh, mister, please go now. Now. Look, look. There's 20 bucks more if you do me a favor. I do you one favor and get shot at. Who knows what'll happen for 20, huh? Who knows? Twice as much fun. Now, look, go through the stuff she left here. And... I told you there wasn't nothing, nothing. Well, go through it anyway. If you find anything that might give me a lead, call me up. Here, here's my card. Uh, but, uh, uh, Richard, I'm in private. Did that... Hey, it says you're a dick. A dick. Strictly private. Now, is it a deal? 20 bucks now? There'll be more if you find something for me. Okay, okay. No, 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 please beat it. And don't come back here no more. No more. Window glass costs dough. I knew it wouldn't do me any good to look at the house where the shots came from, because whoever played me for a clay pigeon would get out fast. Now, only one person knew I was likely to visit that boarding house, the man who sent me there. And his name was Morris Clinton. Vocation? Multimillionaire. Avocation or hobby? Wolf. And an old one at that. But why should he take a shot at me? Thinking like that figured out to a heart-to-heart talk with Clinton, so I went to see him. But if he knew anything, he played it straight. Suited you? But that's ridiculous. Well, I agree. I agree, Clinton. But look at my side of it. This morning, you sent your chauffeur to my office to bring me here. Then you hired me to find a girl for you. A girl named Elaine Tanner. And she wasn't there. Right, right. She wasn't there. Just an empty room in a boarding house. That, uh, that's all the information I could give you about her. I'll even buy that. I've worked on less information before, but here's my point, Mr. Clinton. I was shot at. I'm used to it, but I don't like it. I told you, I know nothing about that. Believe me, Mr. Diamond, I know nothing about it. I do believe you. We'll just say someone doesn't like my poking around that boarding house. Have you got any idea who that might be? No, I haven't. I swear it. Hmm. Okay, okay, I'll wrap it up right now. As I said, I've been shot at before, but uh, you've been so pleasant, Mr. Clinton. From here, the price goes up. You uh, you don't want to go on with the case? Not at these prices. All right, forget it, then. I gave you $100 this morning. Keep it. And forget you ever saw me. Oh, you're so sweet. It'll be a pleasure. Uh, Diamond, just a moment. Yeah? Uh, what has happened is uh, between you and me? Oh, oh, yes, but yes. 
Oh, I, I will have to report those shots. That? Sure. The police don't like to have people taking pot shots at each other. It makes for confusion in a big city. Uh, wait, Diamond, wait. Something else, Mr. Clinton? I, I, I have my own reasons for not wanting anyone else involved in this. I, I'm sure you and I can come to an agreement. Oh, well, it's just possible, Maury, that you and I may not see wallet to wallet. What, uh, what would you say if, uh, if I offered you a thousand dollars bonus to, to keep on the case? Offer or a suggestion? I'll, I'll make it a deal. Put it on paper. A check. Can I trust you? Ah, <laughs> uh, okay, Clinton, if you feel that way about it. Post-date the check. A week from today. If I don't show up with Elaine Tanner by then, the check is yours again. Uncashed. Very well. Here you are. Thanks. So long, Mr. Clinton. I'll keep in touch. Where are you going now? Back to my office to wait for a phone call from the little guy at 118 Parker Avenue. Oh. Oh. <laughs> well, hello there. Did you hear everything you wanted to? I, I beg your pardon, sir. I was just coming and asked Mr. Clinton if I should drive him anywhere this afternoon. Oh? Mr. Come in here. Right away, Mr. Clinton. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Diamond. Yeah, sure. Go on, Christopher. The minute I left Clinton and Chris, I began to get that lousy feeling again. The only thing that made me feel anywhere near normal was the thought of the thousand bucks that would be mine in seven days. For a thousand bucks, I'd stand up for target practice for the big mole. I didn't have much to go on, just the knowledge that old man Clinton wanted me to find Elaine Tanner and that somebody, who up to now had proved to be a bad shot, didn't want me to find her. With that peaceful thought in mind, I sat in my office hoping for a call from the little manager of the boarding house on Parker Avenue. I'd been waiting about an hour, and then... Ah, save your knuckles and use a fire axe. Come on in. Hello, Mr. Diamond. Well... Well, well, Christopher, all your driving finished for the day? Mr. Clinton sent me to see you, Mr. Diamond. Oh, this is the second time today. What's he trying to do, make dear friends of us? Not exactly, Mr. Diamond. Uh, he wants that check back. What? He's changed his mind. Oh, from what I know of him, it needs it. He wants to call off the whole thing. Something happened. Elaine Tanner show up? No. Oh, and he sent you to get the $1,000 check back. That's right, Mr. Diamond. Oh, I know an easier way. Why doesn't he just stop payment on the check? I'm only carrying out Mr. Clinton's orders. Are you? Why do you ask that? Oh, it seems a little offbeat, Chris. This morning he hires me, then he fires me, then he hires me, now he fires me. Monotonous, isn't it? May I have the check, Mr. Diamond? Not before I call Clinton and ask him a few things. You just don't seem to understand, do you? I want Mr. Clinton to explain. Take your hands away from that phone. Oh, oh, gun. Uh, I know how I hate him. No need to be afraid of this one unless you get stubborn. Let's give Clinton a ring. Keep your hands on top of the desk, palms down. So we're going to play table tilting, maybe? And stay sitting. Listen, Chris. How do you like your hair parted, Diamond? On the side or right in the middle? When I opened my big blue eyes, my office was dark. And the neon light on the hotel across the street flashed the news that it was dark outside, too. I'd been out cold for a long time. When the room stopped spinning, I reached out, grabbed a piece of it, pulled myself up, went to the water cooler, splashed myself alive. I started toward the light switch when... This time, I was going to be ready. I got behind the door and waited. Hey, hey, let go! Oh, for the love of Mike, Otis. Sergeant Otis. Well, who do you expect, gorgeous George? Maybe oh. let go my neck. Oh, I'm sorry, Otis. I, I, I guess I just can't resist you. You crazy shamus. 
Hey, it's dark in here. It was a lot darker a couple of minutes ago. Hit the light, will you? Yeah. Thanks. Oh, I got enough troubles, and the first thing I see when I wake up is you. Holy mackerel. What you been doing with your head, Diamond? I got mixed up in a handball game. Oh? Yeah, some friends needed a ball. It's hard work, but you get used to it. Oh, got worked over, huh? Well, them bum jokes you pull catch up with you sometimes. Yeah, I would... Hey, wait a minute. What are you doing here? I come to get you. Lieutenant Levinson wants to see you. Well, go back and describe me. That's all he gets tonight. I think you better come, Shamus. It's important. I think you better go, Otis. That's important. Now, look. Lieutenant Levinson sends me over to get you. There's something he wants to ask you. All I know is name, rank, and serial number. Now, go back and tell Walt I don't want to play games. Uh, Shamus, I got news for you. Murder ain't a game no more. That's all Otis would tell me, but I didn't like the way he kept looking at me all the way to see Levinson. Then we got to headquarters, not to Walt's office, but down the long marble corridor that led back to other places. He wants me to bring you back here, Diamond. Where to? The morgue. The morgue? Yeah, you heard of it. I heard of it. What's this all about? You'll see. In here, Shamus. Lieutenant! Back here, Otis. Come on, then. Hello, Rick. Well, how's the other head look? I'll let you know when it speaks to me. Yeah. Meantime, I want you to take a look at someone. In here? Yeah, in here. You know who this is, Rick? Oh, the poor little devil. The poor devil. What do you know about him? Well, he was manager of a boarding house. Cheap walk-up on Parker Avenue. That we know. What else? He was murdered, huh? Shot right in the back. Mm. Rick, unless I knew you were tied in, I wouldn't have you here. Want to talk about it? Uh, somewhere else, Walt. Sure. Come on. Before I answer any more questions, Walt, how'd you tie me in? He had one of your business cards in his hand. He was shot while he was standing at the phone in the hallway of that boarding house. Did he call you, Rick? I didn't get a call from him. Got any idea why he wanted you? Maybe, maybe not. All depends. On what? Walt, listen. I will in my office. Wait outside, Otis. And I'm busy. Get it? Sure. Sure, I get it. Wait a second, Rick. Now, here's a gun. 38 police special. Take a good look at it. I've seen it before. It's mine. How did you get it? The ballistic support says this gun killed the little guy back there. Did you check it for fingerprints? Yeah, and they were all yours. Hmm. Will you have Otis come visit me and bake a cake with a file in it? Oh, cut it out, Rick. I know you didn't kill him. But I've got to tell the commissioner something. He's funny that way. I was in my office when the guy was shot. I was out cold. You got any proof? For you or the commissioner? For the commissioner, you egghead. Uh, listen on the way. To where? Have Otis bring the car around front. We're going to make a call on a guy named Morris Clinton and his errand boy, Christopher. On the way out, I told Walt the whole thing. How Christopher caught me off base, put me out, and then must have taken my gun to kill the little manager. But neither of us could come up with an answer to Why? Why murder to keep me from finding Elaine Tanner? What was the connection between Clinton, his chauffeur, and the girl? I thought maybe Clinton would give her the answers when he learned there was a murder tapping at his door. So you want to see Christopher, Lieutenant Levison? If you don't mind, Mr. Clinton. Oh, no, no, that's all. Uh, <clears throat> I'll call him real loud, Mr. Clinton. Of course. Christopher? Christopher! You're sure he's here, Mr. Clinton? Oh, yes, yes, I am, of course, Lieutenant. Call again. <clears throat> Christopher! Christopher! I don't think he'll hear you. Why not? I'm not deaf, Mr. Diamond. Hmm? Rick, is that Christopher? Yeah, yeah, this is Chris, all right. 
And I owe him a haircut. Now, lay off, Rick. I'll handle this. Christopher. Yes, sir? Where were you about two this afternoon? Why, right here, working on the car. Correction. Working on me. I beg your pardon. Oh, come on, come on. Let's have it straight. Mr. Clinton, what about this? Uh, Christopher is, is right within it. Yes, <clears throat> he's right. Oh, you're scared stiff, Clinton, and you're lying. I'm not. I, uh, I wanted to go into town to, to keep an appointment. And the fuel pump on the car was stopped up. I had to take it apart. Oh, uh, sure. And while you fixed it, Clinton stood right over you. As a matter of fact, he did watch. And it took all afternoon to fix it. No, but when it was finished, it was too late for Mr. Clinton's appointment. Uh, he decided not to go. How about that, Mr. Clinton? Oh, yes, yes, Lieutenant. Uh, Christopher, uh, Christopher hasn't been out of my sight all afternoon. That's good enough for me. All right, Diamond, let's go. What? Are you crazy? No, that's why I'm putting the cuffs on you. I thought there was something fishy about your story. Gun taken away from you. People coming to see you, hiring you, firing. Watch, your stomach has gone to your head. Never mind my stomach. Otis. Uh, yeah, Lieutenant. Put the cuffs on this shamas. Cuffs? On him? Close your mouth, Otis. Put the cops on. Ward, what in the world? Diamond, I've been waiting for a chance like this to comb you out of my hair for good. Otis, the cops. Uh, yes, sir, Lieutenant. All right, Shamus, pull him out. Mr. Clinton, thank you very much. Goodbye. Come on, Diamond. Oh, so, uh, uh, Lieutenant. Otis, I told you to close your mouth. Oh, I gotta breathe. Oh, shut up and come on. Walt, outside, Diamond. Get going. You big bubblehead. What's the idea of making like a cop of me? I kind of liked it. How'd I do? What? Good performance, eh? Good performance. <laughs> oh, you big ham. You great big ham. Well, Lieutenant, are we going to put the shamus in the jug? Shut up, Otis. Take the cups off him. What? Here, Otis. Start working. Oh, you're right, Rick. Clinton was scared stiff. And for some reason, he backed Christopher's alibi. Well, I've, uh, I've got an idea. You better have. If I don't have something to tell the commissioner, I'll have to give up my ideas about a pension. I, uh, I'm going back to that boarding house. Why? Well, the manager was going to call me. It's just possible he got a hold of a lead on Elaine Tanner, but Christopher killed him before he had a chance to tell me. Well, that makes sense. Uh, have you got a man there? Yeah, a happy. Oh, good. I'll see you later. Rick. All right. Please. For the sake of my stomach, don't slip up. You're my only suspect without an alibi. Thanks, Walt. See you later. Yeah. No, Walt. What? Bottoms up on the bicarbonate. <laughs> That's all the stuff there was in the basement, Diamond. Oh, thanks, Mahaffey. Mm. Everything neatly bundled but this one pile. The little guy must have gone through it. Got any idea what you're looking for? No, give me a hand, will you? Sure. Hmm. Newspapers, magazines. Oh, Mahaffey. Uh-huh? No one's been in here since the murder? Nobody. I've been on the door. Oh, and the manager had nothing on him? Only your card. That's funny, very funny. He wouldn't have tried to call me if he hadn't found something. Maybe he came across something in this pile of stuff. Didn't take it out and then... Find something? Yeah, yeah. This sheaf of withholding tax statements. Mm-hmm. The kind that come on the bottoms of paycheck. Made out to Elaine Tanner. Paid by the Blue Falcon nightclub. That ain't far from here. That's where I'm going. Sure. Now I remember a kid that named Tanner. Yeah, used to work here in the line. Thanks, bartender. Where's she now? Well, Mr. Me, I know from nothing about her, but she was good friends with one of the dolls in the line, gal named Gladys. Where can I find this Gladys? Dressing room, straight back, turn left. And knock on the door, huh? Well, oh, they dressed that way for the show anyway. I'll keep both eyes closed. <laughs> sure, straight back like I said, and first turn left. <laughs> 
you want with her, handsome? Why don't you get off here? You tempt me, sweetheart, but give me a rain jack. Who waits for rain? But um, why do you want to see Elaine? Well, maybe I want to tell her about some oil wells that came in. Yeah? <laughs> you don't look like the type talks about oil wells. Honey, honey, don't let the tassels on my shoes fool you. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> yeah, I know where Elaine is. Want to give? Information? Sure. Oh, you've got a one-track mind. Maybe I can't switch it over yet. Okay, so I'll get a couple of days older meanwhile. Anyhow, I never did like her. So, I don't mind letting you know. No what, Gladys? Well, maybe a month ago she quits this job. This dump. Uh, all right, she quits. Go ahead. Yeah. But uh, before she quits, she's acting funny. Like the night we're going home together, walking along. And she's talking. Oh, this is the last time I take this walk. So, going to fly to him from work? I'm quitting. Well, if you like to eat grass, go ahead. <laughs> I won't eat grass. Ever had a real mink coat, Gladys? I could have. But his lawyer's settled out of court. I'll have one. I'll do all right. You thinking about that guy, Clinton, who comes in the club? Uh-huh. Honey, there's wolves and there's wolves. Want to pick one with teeth? He likes me. Sure. Every time he sees you, he's got to push his eyes back in his head. Chris is working for him. His chauffeur. So this is news, so what? Money. Lots of it. Shakedown? Oh, now look, honey. They can give you trouble for that. <laughs> Not a shakedown. This is safe and sure. Chris figured it. He figured it and I... And what? Nothing. Just forget it. Come on. Let's get some coffee. And that's all she says. Uh-huh. Now, where can I find her? Oh, I'll tell you where I think she is. Here's the address I wrote it down. Thanks, Gladys. I'll see you again. Yeah. See more of me. Is that possible? This costume's for the first show. We save up for the second. I'll be here for the last show. Oh, what you said. So long, Hampton. A little while after Gladys gave the address, I was buzzing at an apartment door. I kept my fingers crossed and then uncrossed them when the door opened. Yes? Hello there, Elaine. Who are you? Well, the name's Hangtooth. Elmer Hangtooth. Who? Oh, I better come in. Hey, hey, what's the idea? Oh, can't hear a thing you say, honey. My hearing aid just shorted out. Now, listen, wise guy. Oh, Elaine, Elaine. Chris sent me. Chris? Yeah. He said to tell you everything's okay. The heat's off. How about that private eye? Diamond? Richard Diamond? Yeah, that's the one. Honey, you'll never be any closer to him than you are right now. Uh, I was afraid he'd quit. Hey, when's Chris coming? Soon, I hope. Oh. Uh, I've never seen you before, have I? Well, you're young and life's full of surprises. Uh-huh. I like surprises. Nice. Chris, work you in on the deal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did him a favor, took care of Diamond. Like doing it, too. Oh, by the way, what goes with you and Clinton? <laughs> Honey, we had a common interest. Oh. Books, dearie. Books. Hmm. He had one I wanted. <laughs> When I finished with him, I could have walked out with a furniture. Yeah, I guess you could, baby. I guess you could. Think so? Why not? Uh, what did you say your name was? Well, the name's Oppenacher, Harold Oppenacher. Well, that's not what you said before. Oh, so you have been listening. The real name is Diamond, Richard Diamond. <laughs> I see a kidder, huh? Well, if that makes you laugh, this ought to bring back Mahjong. Here, 
Take a look at my license. Huh? My membership card, the Hopalong Cassidy Club, my Flash Gordon beanie. Oh, you dirty shamus, you stinking cop. Easy, baby. Let go Easy, baby. Easy. Let go, you dirty... Let go of me. Let her go, Simon. Chris! Chris! Jackpot. Chris and Elaine all at once. Simon, get your hands off her. Get them off. No. That's better. Huh? Now, Elaine, before I fill him full of holes, huh? tell me what he's doing here. He, he said you sent him, Chris. Sure, he would. Elaine, you ready to get out of here? Yeah. Okay, hand me a cushion from the sofa. Want to take a nap, Chris? I'll laugh at your funeral, Shamus. Hold a cushion over the gun. Nobody hears the shot. Better not, Chris. Elaine, start out. I'll be right behind you. Yeah, all right, Chris. Got the book? Yeah. What book? Shut up. Get going, Elaine. Chris, uh, let's talk this over. Funny, you just finished talking, Diamond. Chris! Elaine, what's going on? my book. Give it to me! Clinton, Duff, get out of the way. Diamond, you... Chris! Well, I, I owed him that partner's hair. It's all right, Elaine. Just creased. I wouldn't think of depriving the hot seat of such a good customer. My book. Where's my book? I want it. Give me my book. Sure, 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 Mr. Clinton. But I'm afraid you'll have to explain to the police first. A telephone call to the 5th Precinct brought Walt and Otis to my rescue. Otis used the siren. Loved it. I told Walt the book old man Clinton kept screaming about had me a little confused that I wouldn't be able to relax until he found out just where it fitted in the case. He promised to find out the answers as soon as he took Chris, Elaine, and Clinton back to the 5th Precinct. I told him to call me at Helen's. Rick, what about that check for $1,000? Is it any good? Well, the check's post-dated. I doubt if Mr. Clinton will honor it now. It's too bad. We, we could have celebrated. So all you got for your trouble was 100 a day in expenses. Mm, I'll get it. Grant's tomb, the general speaking. Rick? Yeah, Walt? Yeah, you sitting down? Why? You can tear up that check Clinton gave you. He won't honor it. He's mad about having to go to jail. Oh, I was way ahead of you about the check. Why did Clinton go to jail? What did he do? You know that book he was yelling about? What about it? Well, it's an original Sir Francis Bacon manuscript. How would you know? I hate to admit it, but Otis told me what it was. You know, Otis is a... a, a, a uh, excuse me, Lieutenant. It's bibliophile. Shut up, Hammerhead. Okay, so I work for nothing. Uh, Rick. Yeah? The book is worth $30,000. It was stolen 18 years ago from the Fine Arts Library in Washington. Old man Clinton bought it from a fence. That's why he couldn't go to the police. Oh, so Chris and Elaine uh, hijacked it, huh? Probably had a sale for it. Yeah, uh, Rick. There's a $1,500 reward for that book. So what? It's yours. Hmm? Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Walt. Helen. Hmm? Put your ear next to the receiver. Oh, all right. Walt, say that again. Say what again? What you just said. Did I say anything? Well, sure you did. Are you sure? Oh, now cut it out, Walt. Say it again about the reward. Oh, that. There's a $1,500 reward for the book. Thanks, Walt. Bye. Bye. Well, baby. Well, we're going to celebrate after all. $1,500. Oh, Rick, that calls for a real celebration. Sure. Well, don't go away, darling. I'll be right back. I won't be long. Oh, uh, Rick, there's a new song on the piano. Why don't you try it? Okay, oh, I set my pajamas and put on my prayers. Well, that's pretty silly, but... Hmm. My baby kissed me goodnight And I am glad to relate That by the time I got home I was feeling great I climbed up the door and opened the stairs I said my pajamas and put on my prayers I turned off the bed Crawled into the light, and all because you kissed me. Good night. Next morning I awoke and scrambled my shoes. 
I shined up an egg, then I toasted the news. I buttered my tie and took another bite. And all because you kissed me. Good night. By evening I felt normal, so we went out again. You said good night and kissed me. I hurried home and then I climbed up the door and opened the stairs. I said my pajamas and put on my prayers. I turned off the bed, crawled into the light, and all because you kissed me. Good night. By evening I felt normal, so we went out again. You said good night and kissed me. I hurried home and then I lifted the preacher, called up the phone, spoke to the dog and threw your ma a bone. It was midnight and yet the sun was shining bright, and I'm in college and kissed me. Oh, that was lovely, Rick. Well, how do I look? Oh, my, my, wonderful. What are you so dressed up for? For the celebration. Oh, that's right, yeah. Come on, let's go. Oh, where are we going, Rick? Oh, the Blue Falcon nightclub. We'll be just in time for the last show. The Blue Falcon? Oh, but why pick that play? Oh, but they've got a wonderful floor show. Yes, but the costumes are... Oh, they're nothing. Oh, what you said. You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Ed Begley played Lieutenant Walt Levinson. Also in the cast were Wilms Herbert, Francis Robinson, Ted Osborne, Gene Bates, and Paul Dubois. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Today's show was written and directed by Russell Hughes. Dick Powell currently may be seen in the motion picture version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. This is Eddie King inviting you to be with us next Sunday at this same time when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. What's on NBC today? Ezio Pinza, dynamic singing star, plays his first starring dramatic role today on Theater Guild on the Air, with Madeline Carroll and Linda Darnell co-starred. And you'll also want to listen to the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show and the Adventures of Sam Spade right before Theater Guild. Don't forget, it's Pinza on Theater Guild on the Air today. It's all great entertainment today on NBC. You're tuned for the stars on NBC. Orson Welles, 
as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character, originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Karras. was the shot that killed Harry Lyme. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyme had many lives. And I can recount all of them. How do I know? Very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyme. I don't approve of gambling, at least not the legitimate kind. It's not so much the gambling I dislike, it's the losing I detest. Of course, all business entails a certain amount of risk. That's why insurance companies grow rich. I believe in insurance. That's why when I have to gamble, I always like to ensure that I'm on a sure thing. Some people have been rude enough to call this cheating, that they were prejudiced by being on the losing side. Like that time in Mexico City when I brought off what I like to call my Mexican hat trick. Mexican hat trick. There is no human affliction worse than poverty. In Mexico City, I realized again that it's more painful when the disease occurs in the midst of plenty. Somehow, there had always been enough to buy a drink for some poor, unsuspecting tourista. You know the kind, too much money in his pocket, too much trust in his heart for a fellow American, a meal ticket for Harry Lyme. But now, Nothing. Harry Lyme, soldier of many fortunes, good and bad, was down to his last borrowed cigarette, sitting in a crummy dive in a fourth-rate district of the city, checking a mental roster of friends, contacts, and local suckers. Senor Harry. Oh. oh. Hello, Diego. Just thinking about you, Diego. Sit down, old man. Bueno. What's your standard rate for six fast lessons in pocket picking? Ah, mi amigo, I trade you favor for favor. Eh? You know my friend Bolo Minoso? Bolo, of course, king of the Mexico City dips. Hmm? How's he doing? He died this morning, Harry. Oh, it's too bad, Diego. Anything I can do? See, before he died, Bolo asked me to help him remove a great stain from his immortal soul. You don't say. He was afraid that when he entered the next world... Uh, look, Diego, you've come to the wrong man. I'm having troubles enough with this world. Bolo gave me this note, Harry. He asked me to take it for him to... To, to the police. Well, go to it, old man. I'm... But, but the police, could you not deliver this note Me? For... To the yes. police? Yes. Diego, 
Remember, Bolo has entrusted it to you. Be a man. <laughs> Face the issue. Straighten up. Shoulders back. Chest I out, old man. I will not jest, amigo. You could remove Bolo's stains more simply. Oh, I'm all right. Let me see this note. See. Hmm. I don't know why you should be so worried about... It's... Hmm. Huh? Oh, uh... Now, well, well, Diego, you've done a favor or two for me. I, uh... I guess I'll take care of all of Oh, for you. amigo. Sure. Gracias, amigo. Gracias. You will take it to the police, eh? Uh, don't worry about a thing, old man. No, I'll take care of the note. When I managed to get rid of the grateful Diego, I sat down and studied this little note more carefully. Seventeen years ago, the note explained, in the little Mexican town of Leon, Bolo Minoso had killed a man. This note was his confession, a complete account of how he'd permitted an innocent man, somebody named Vicente Coelho, to be accused of this murder. It explained that Bolo had hidden signed affidavits proving Coelho's innocence somewhere in Leon. Just where in Leon, he neglected to say. At least be interested in this confession, of course. But then it seemed to me that the Coelho family might have a greater concern. So I decided to investigate the financial aspects of the family interest. Buenos dias, señora. Buenos dias, señora. ¿Es esto usted, uh, señora Coelho? Sí. This is my daughter, Alicia, señora. I'm encantado. I'm delighted. Uh, señora, this document concerns your husband. Uh, my husband? Vicente Coelho. He was your husband. Yes. Yes, but Vicente is dead. Bendito uh, señora, no... how long has it been since his death, I mean? We, we do not know. Not for certain. It has been a long time. Yes, and you needn't be delicate on my account, Signora. I know. No? Signora, I know that your father was accused of murdering a man in Leon 17 years ago. He did not. Vicente would not hurt I anyone. Know, but he was not a criminal. The police didn't share that view. When he escaped from prison before his trial, it seemed to cinch the case against him, right? Okay. It made the authorities even more certain of his guilt. But he had to escape. There was no hope without the papers. Yes, yes, I know. You seem to know so much, Mr. Lyle. I know what you know, Senorita. Those papers were the evidence that could have saved your father, and they were stolen. This does not help us. We have searched for 17 years for some kind of evidence that would have cleared the name of my husband. We have spent mm. thousands of pesos. What if you thousands... found that evidence now, Senora? Oh, por Dios. If we only could... Senora, Senorita, those papers... They were affidavits proving absolutely that your husband was nowhere near the scene of the crime when it occurred. They were? How do you know this? I have the word of the man who stole them. You have? Alicia, you know. Where is this man, Mr. Lyme? We must see him I'm immediately. Afraid, I'm afraid it's too late for that. He's dead, you see. Dead? Hmm. Then it has been for nothing. Why do you come to us now? Oh, there's always hope, Senorita. I have his confession that he was the murderer. I can prove your father's innocence. You can? Hmm. Mama, you hear? See, see, I knew that someday... Madre de Dios. Gracias. We must go to the police. Uh, yes, You can tell them. I'm afraid not the police. You won't go? Well, this deathbed confession, I'm afraid it isn't enough. Then what? The affidavit, senorita. I know where they can be found. That is the approximate location. The same affidavit? Yes. After 17 years? They still years? exist. With a little searching, I can produce them. Then you must get them for us. We will do anything. Senora, anything. there's nothing. I'd rather do more. I'd like very much to help you clear the Coelho name, but... Well, I, I, I can't leave immediately. It'll take time, six months or so. Six and then, yes, months? Possibly a year. Depends on business, of course. I do have certain commitments here in Mexico City, you but see. But, Mr. Lyme, a I'm year... I'm sorry, mean losing quite a bit of income. I'm afraid six months anyway. No. Like... No, you must help us now. Mama, senor, we do not want you to lose any income for our sake. If you help us, we will pay you what money you would lose. Well, I'm grateful, senor, but really I hesitate, you see. 
My income is not small, something around 100,000 pesos for six months. We will give you 200,000 pesos. 200,000. Senor Lime, our money is yours. We will pay anything. You will not be sorry. I'm sure of that. Take back your gold. Gold will never buy me. <laughs> what it though. Take back your gold. Take back your... Come in, come in, come in. Buenos dias, senor Senorita. Lime. Senorita. May I come in? Uh, of course, come. Come right on in. Yeah. I, uh, I see you are preparing for your journey. Yes, sir, I can't offer you a decent chair. Take this one. It is all right. I will stand. How would you ever find me here? It was not difficult. You are well known, it seems. Oh, checking up on me, huh? You might say the Quellios are cautious people, Mr. Lime. Mm-hmm. My mother thought it better... Please, Senorita, I should be making the apologies. Mr. Lime, forgive me for saying this, but for a man with business affairs such as yours, you live so... So, so... Uh, modestly? Hmm? Si. Not at all. Note the spider web over there, Senorita. A genuine antique. Fifteenth century. The spider is a direct descendant of Cortez. Uh, I am sorry, Mr. Lime. <laughs> Bad looks spares no one, it seems. Uh, you've had your share, Alicia. I've had mine, but it really makes little difference. We can help each other now, and that's what's really important, isn't it? See, si, Yeah, si. let me pour you a drink. Good stuff. A pickpocket friend of mine borrowed it from an American tourist. No, thank you. You are so gay, Mr. Brown. Harry. See, si, Harry, I... Say, you know what I think? I think something's bothering you. What is it, the spider web, the saggy chair? Harry, I would like to go to Leon with you. Uh, now, just a minute, young lady. I have the car. You will need an interpreter, perhaps, in Leon. Well, I've heard it's a lonely town. Yes, Harry, it is. Well, don't just stand there, woman. Go on home and pack. No need to, senor. My luggage is downstairs in the car. We got our first glimpse of Leon from a hill behind the city. Quiet little mountain town. Quite incapable of coping with giddy tourists on expense accounts. As we entered Leon, I wondered what murder had to do with a place like this. Bueno, Harry. You have taken us directly to the town plaza. Couldn't miss. Only one road into town. Is that a hotel over there? It is the hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, that must be the town's official greeter. Hmm? Out you go. Out you go. Gracias. Good to stretch. He says he will watch the car. It's official greeter, all right. One or a, one or a hundred in every Mexican town. <laughs> his mother is ill, he says. His family is dying of hunger. Sure, sure, sure. Give him something, Harry. Uh, looks like the greeter was just sent into retirement. Buenos dias, señor. Buenos dias. Welcome to Leon. You will be happy with us in this hotel. Uh, your bag, señor? Uh, gracias. Uh, come, I have a beautiful room for you. Una habitación muy bonita. Señor y señora, will be... Uh, un momento. Sí, señora. Dos. Dos habitaciones, señora. Señorita. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, señorita, <laughs> sí, sí. Bueno, pues, dos, dos habitaciones. Dos habitaciones. We followed the officious little hotel manager across a tile lobby. Up rickety stairs. And many centuries before this, my hotel was the home of one of the Spanish conquistadors. Those are our rooms down there. You see, mm-hmm. there is much romance. Very interesting. Oh, over there, you see. Uh, Senor, what bell is that we hear? Bell? Oh, the bell, see, si, see. Si. Uh, this is the famous church bell of Leon. Famous? It bears a long and tragic story, senorita. 
Every hour it tolls to remind us of the scene. Look, okay. old man, some other time if you don't mind. Si, si, senor, pero... Uh, uh, there you are. Ah, for you. Muchas gracias, senor, muchas gracias. Father, uh, uh, young lady, how do you say we wash up first and then start the big search for the affidavit? Harry, it seems so difficult. Where does one begin? Oh, with Bolo, of course, find his trail. We find the papers. Let's go. Orson Welles returns in just a moment as the third man. continues with Mexican Hat Trick. Leon was even sleepier than most Mexican towns. Only the bell disturbed it. After the midday siesta, when you'd expect things to come to life, everything just went on sleeping as before. Good for the nerves, of course. Unless you were trying to wake up a memory 17 years old. Perhaps he will know this man. Let's hope so. I'm a little tired of asking. Uh, you speak English? Uh, that's well. I want some information. 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 Gracias, amigo. One bar after another, one cafe after another. We made them all. We hit cockfight rings, the viejos on the street, everyone in every place where there might be a clue. Something to point us in the direction of those affidavits. Did you find anything, Harry? Nothing, nothing, tough John. Perhaps we are making a mistake. What about my father? Hmm? It would be easier to find someone who remembers him. We can start from there. Part of your mind, mention your father's name, just mention it around here, you... And not only the police down on us, we'll have every chief confidence man in Mexico on our hands, trying to find out what we want. But we have to start somewhere. And we have to rest somewhere, too. My feet are killing me. Let's go back to the hotel. Harry, it is not right for me to be in the room. Oh, for the Lord. Come on, come on. There's no time to worry about propriety. But it is not... Oh, we're both tired. We've got to rest. We might as well talk while we're doing it. Go on. I'll order up a couple of drinks. Hey. Hey, Alicia, listen, there's nothing to cry about. I am sorry. I cannot help you. Come here. Come on. Oh, you should not kiss me. Oh, I'd be pretty silly if I didn't. Harry, please, no. You're a great kid, Alicia. Oh, Harry. You know what? 
I kind of hope this search of ours isn't too successful. Too soon. Things were considerably more bearable during the next few days. The warm Mexican evenings and Alicia. Uh, but during the days, long, tedious days, we searched and searched and searched and we found nothing. After one of our better evenings together, I left Alicia at her door and headed for my room. When I opened the door, there was a surprise waiting for me. I had a guest, the weasened old beggar who'd been the first to greet us on our arrival in Leon. This time, his greeting was a little violent. Hey, hey! hey. Tim! Hey, why, why you? Maria! No, you don't! Hey. You try to kill me. Oh, you try to kill hey. me. I die. What are you doing here? Hey. Come on, what do you want? Panhandle business falling off, robbing hotel rooms now? Well, we'll see what the police have to say about it. Okay, okay, let's have it. What's it all about? You come to kill me. What are you babbling about? Who wants to kill you? Bolo, you look for Bolo. You come to kill me. Bolo? What's he got to do with it? Hey, hey, come back here. Bolo. Bolo. The beggar, the flea-bitten old car-watching beggar. This was Alicia's father. Buried in the dust of police records, rumors, and memory, but after all these years, still alive. And those affidavits proving his innocence of the murder, they'd be twice as valuable to the living as they would to the dead. His family would certainly be willing to pay much more for them now, unless, of course, Coelho found them first. Obviously, that's why he was in Leon. I had to get my hands on those papers before he did. And before Alicia realized her father was still alive. Yes? Harry, I thought we could go. Harry! It's okay. Come in. Close the door. What happened? I had a little argument with destiny, honey. I won. Your clothes? Yeah. They're all torn in your face. Oh, Harry. Nothing I can't wash off with soap and water. But, but what was it? The old beggar. He must have been after my money. He tried to kill me when I caught him, Harry. Oh, Harry, you must be careful. No, you're the one who's got to be careful. Stay away from him. No telling what he's up to now. Might try to get back at me by hurting you. Then we must go to the police. No, no, no. I, I, I don't want to talk to the police. No, not, not until we can clear your father. And then what? I'll handle him myself. You just stay close to me from now on. I had to find those blasted papers quickly now. But how? Where? Was Coelho any closer to them than I? How could I keep Alicia from learning that her father was alive? Add to these nagging thoughts the incessant clanging of that church bell just outside my window. You can well understand my reaction to the hotel manager's typical good morning greeting. Ah, buenos dias, senor. Yeah, buenos dias. I did not sleep oh, well. Oh, senor, your bed is not comfortable. I will see to it. Where's Alicia? Uh, the senorita, has she come down yet? Ah, the senorita, she's at the church. Church? Si, senor, this is a great holiday in our city. At midnight, the bell begins to toll and does not stop until the sun sets tonight. You to tell me it's going to keep up that racket till sundown, that horrible clankety-clank? This clank, senor, it is the will of the Lord. Yeah, well, I need some coffee. Our punishment, senor... We atone on this day for the great sin of Leon. The great sin of Leon. That must have been a whopper. A terrible sin, senor. Uh, on this day, 17 years ago, a good man was killed in Leon. Mm. For this, the Lord removed the music from the Wait bell. a minute, wait it... a minute. What happened 17 years ago? 
there was murder in our city. And the bell? Oh. A miracle, senor. On this Never day, mind, we... the bell. What's it got to do with the murder? Please, senor, do not shout. Will you please, por favor, get... The, the blasted point. Senor, you must hear me. This bell was once of glorious musical tone. Uh, yes, Then but... there came this terrible scene, this uh, killing. Go on. One of the men of Leon was taken by the police for this murder. Then there occurred this miracle. What miracle? The music left the tone of the bell, and this man was never seen again. Wait a minute. It changed its tone overnight, huh? Before the man was brought to trial? The will of the Lord, senor. Our punishment for permitting violent death in our city... Each year on this day we pray that the music be restored to our bell. Uh, you say you wish coffee, senor? No, 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 not now. When the senorita returns, tell her to see me. Uh, pronto. Right away, it's too late. But, Harry, it is, it is too fantastic. Oh, sure, it's fantastic. Bells don't change their tone the way you and I change our clothes. There's got to be a reason for it, a practical, fundamental, tangible reason. Now, look, look, this note. Okay. Paula's note. Here, he admits it right here. He stole the evidence that would have cleared your father. He says he hid it right here in Leon. Well, why did he not destroy it immediately? Who knows? Maybe he intended to confess sooner or later. Murders are seldom logical people, but look. Now we learn that just before your father escaped from the police, the tone of this bell suddenly, mysteriously, miraculously changed from a melodious ring to that clank we hear out there. Listen to it, Alicia, listen. What makes a bell sound like that? I, I do not know, Harry. It may be. I do not know. Well, neither do I, but tonight I'm going to find out. And you're going to help. It was midnight before the streets were empty. Alicia and I entered the little church and climbed up the ancient flight of stairs to the company. Quiet now. Quiet, How Alicia. will you get to the bell? The steps do not go that high. You have to use the bell, Paul. You will make so much noise. Yeah, you I know. will stop the bell to ring. Won't make much difference once we get what we're after. Here we are. Can you reach it? I've got it. Stay here. The Padre shows up. Let me know. I'll make it as fast as I can. Be careful, Harry. Mm. Do not hurt yourself. I'll be okay. Harry, mm. I love you. Mm? This is for good luck. Back did it. Harry! I climbed up hand over hand. I don't know how far. Ten feet, maybe fifteen or twenty. It wasn't easy. The bell made a horrible racket over me, and the sound grew in waves as I approached it, making me dizzier and dizzier until I almost let go. But finally... There was no more rope. My hand touched the inside of the bell and it, it stopped ringing. The old line confidence was at a cockeyed angle and slipping away fast when I suddenly grabbed for the clapper and found what I wanted. A heavy oilskin wrapper tied around it, a couple of hundred thousand pesos worth of missing affidavits. One good tug pulled it away. I stuffed it in my shirt front. <laughs> The rope burned chunks of flesh right out of my hands as I slid down. Below me, I saw another figure struggling with Alicia, trying to get past her. The two of them were wrestling on the narrow ledge at the top of the steps, leading to the bell tower. I caught one moonlit glimpse of their faces as I swung onto the ledge. It was the beggar, Coelho, Alicia's father. Before I could reach him, she got one arm free and hit him as hard as she could. Then she shoved. And he went over. Oh. Alicia! Alicia! Harry! Oh, Harry, he tried to kill me. Oh, it's all right. It's all right, honey. It's all right. I killed him. It was not my fault. No, 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 no. You didn't. Him. Look, he's, he's getting up. It's all right. I am glad. I am glad. 
Nature. Let's go down. After all, we got what we came for. returns in just a moment. authorities were concerned, Coelho was a nameless beggar who'd gone and blown his top. They locked him up, of course, but said he'd be released later on. I was the one person who could identify him, the one person who could return him to his family. But why interfere? Let the old man figure it out for himself. If he wanted to remain the unknown beggar for the rest of his days, that was his business. Probably everybody would be happier the way things were, particularly Alicia. She was all that really worried me. I went out into the little plaza to think it over. Day was breaking. The birds were waking up. The little cantina was still open. I went in and sat down at a greasy little table and had myself a couple of tequillas. Then I borrowed a few sheets of notepaper and wrote this. Alicia, my darling, I'm writing this in a great rush because I want to be gone from Leon before you're awake. I'm doing it this way because I'm afraid if I saw you again, I wouldn't know how to go and I've got to. No matter what, I can't. I mustn't stay on here in Mexico with you. I hope you find somebody you deserve, but I doubt it. Anyway, he is wishing you happiness. Adios. And as for my fee, you can pay it to a man called Diego, who call at your house. Again, adios. Yours, Harry Lyme. <laughs>
Here is another beautiful sounding recording of the saint. Enjoy. Adventures of the Saints, starring Vincent Price. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as... The Saint. Coming, coming. Good morning, Templar. Get you out of bed? Well, I... You re- young fellows, stay out too late, get up too late, and no exercise. Flabby, every one of you. Uh, it's only that my rowing machine sprang a leak a little while back. Rationalization. I... Well, they're rationing everything these days. Come in, Mr. Um... You know me, Templar Barnard. Buzz Barnard. I used to see you at the fat house when you were at state. The grip, brother. What? Oh, oh, yes, the grip. As if I could ever forget. Uh, uh, how does it go again? Huh? If you're trying to joke, Templar, there are two things I never joke about. The university, the fraternity. Won't you sit down, Mr. Barnhart? Buzz. Buzz. Uh, you played football, didn't you? Football? I was before your time, Templar, but my old jersey still hangs in the frat house. The one I wore when I scored the touchdown against Michigan. All-America, 1926. And in 1926, football was football. Remember that. Football was football. I got it. Templar, you've made quite a reputation as the saint. That's why I've come to you. There's a force of evil loose on the campus of our alma mater, Templar. A force of evil. Read this. Hmm? Hmm. I know all about you and Angie. Let me tell you what will happen if you keep on seeing her. First, you will be... This was written by a very sick mind, Mr. Barnard. Obviously. A poison pen note. And I have reason to believe that every man showing interest in Angela has received one. Who is Angela? My daughter. And a senior at the university. Young and very beautiful. Oh, I'm sure of it. But I don't quite see, Mr. Barnard, (laughs) that is Buzz, uh, that there's anything that I can do... Templar, the young student who received this note, Jim Fuller, disregarded it. Last night, he was seized from behind and choked unconscious. If his assailant hadn't been frightened off by other students approaching, I firmly believe Fuller would have been killed. Well, then it's a matter for the police. The police? Templar, the police, let alone not being state men, are not even university men. You see how impossible it is? But I still don't see how I... There is no higher duty than the duty we all owe our alma mater. Though we may wander far, when she issues a call, we must answer. Templar... Her reputation is threatened. She needs you. Buzz, for university, for fraternity, the grip. The grip, brother. Then it's all settled. 
I'll tell Dean Matthews to expect you. Oh, is Dean Matthews still there? Gosh, he must be 180 years old by now. Of course. He no longer handles the administrative duties, but he insists on knowing everything that's going on. Well, I'll see him in the morning and arrange to take some refresher courses. Very intelligent. Excite less suspicion. Yeah. You might give me the names of the students your daughter has been seeing. Angela, as a rule, doesn't care too much for the company of students, Templar. She prefers older men. Oh, uh, how about Fuller? Uh, Fuller is, I believe, more of a convenience than anything else. College dances and so on. Angela, I say this without conceit, you understand, uh, prefers someone cast more in the image of her father. Younger, naturally. Yeah, well, can you give me the names of any of these images? Uh, she has been somewhat circumspect. Uh, you might try Professor Hobson, a young instructor in psychology. Around 35, quite handsome. Yeah. Angela must be a very attractive girl. Angela is an attractive woman, as you will find out. Is anything in particular meant by that, Mr. Barnard? Just caution, Mr. Templer. I know my daughter. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to it. For alma mater, of course. Of course. Of course. The grip. The grip. Good afternoon, Dean. My Come name in. is... Come in, Templer. How's that? I never forget a face. Never. Understand you're coming back with us again. Well, in a way, yes. Good. Finish the job this time, my boy. Graduate. Make up your mind to it, and you'll do it. Dean, I, I think you have me confused with... Nonsense, nonsense. I remember you perfectly. Left here last semester, didn't you? Uh, as a matter of fact, Dean, I graduated from this fair tower of learning quite a number of... Well, a fair number of years ago... Uh, the reason I'm here just now is to audit a few courses, any courses, in connection with an investigation I'm making for Mr. Barnard. But I understand all this. Oh, good. I understand your needs exactly. Fine. Angela Barnard is a very interesting young woman. Now, don't tell me you've received a note, too. How's that, young man? Uh, uh, nothing, sir. Uh, now, about those courses, Dean. My I... assistant will arrange things with the registrar. I know exactly what you want. Oh, splendid. And this semester, Templar, make up your mind to buckle down to work. No more cutting classes. A job worth doing is worth doing well. Dean, Assiduity, I... stick-to-itiveness, and a constant image before you of your parents' proud smile when you bring home that diploma. You touched me. Study hard, think straight, and resolve to be the kind of a success which in later life will enable you to contribute generously to the alumni fund. Professor Hobson? Yes? My name is Templer, Simon Templer. I'm auditing your psychology one. With what in mind, Templer? Do I impress you as a typical undergraduate type? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I was afraid not. Then I'd better be frank. I understand poison pen notes are circulating on the campus, Hobson, and further that you yourself may have received one. Yes. Well, I've been asked by, uh, Buzz Barnhart to find the author of the notes. I hope you can. I hope you can. Can you contribute to anything further than just hope? Templar, I, uh, I suppose you know that I'm implicated in this. Hmm. It has been suggested, yes. I have one of the notes. Have you seen them? Uh... Here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much like the other I saw. Have you uh, heeded the warning to stay away from Angie? Uh, no. 
Or rather, Angie hasn't stayed away from me. That sounds egotistical, but then you don't know Angie. Or do you? No, I'm still looking forward to it. Don't. I still don't know how this thing got started, Templar. Every young professor gets a certain amount of flattering attention from the coeds, but this is different, vastly different. Angie's a woman, tremendously attractive and tremendously evil. You really feel that? Yes. And no. No, no one that young is evil. Give them time. Angie is twisted, badly so. Her family, her father... Oh, I can't even be objective enough about the girl to analyze what's wrong. Have any ideas about the author of the notes? No. Someone badly neurotic, perhaps dangerously neurotic. That's obvious. Total lack of adjustment to realities. Perhaps these traits are apparent on the surface. Perhaps not. It could be anyone. You make my chances of finding him or her appear rather gloomy, Hobson. Why not? A neurotic, a psychotic in college ranks these days, we turn them out on an assembly line. I'm somewhat of an escapist, Templar. I sought a professorial post as a refuge, a serene and lofty observation point. Let others compete, struggle, become ulcer-ridden, not for me. Well, you could have chosen a better historical period. Any historical period. Have you any idea what goes on in a university today, Templar? Just last June, we graduated most of our veterans. We got back to normals. Six months later, nine out of every ten men in college are 1A. Now try instilling the old college spirit in these boys. Try getting them to study their homework so their mothers will be proud of them. Try getting them to conform to the nice, conservative, moral standards which prevailed when you and I went to college. Oh, oh happily, I don't have to try. I only have to catch someone who's been writing letters. Do you have any ideas about anyone else who might have received one of these valentines? You know about young Fuller? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, you can't really count him anyhow. Try our esteemed football coach, Buddy Ritko. A football coach hasn't enough worries? He has to go out and choose more? You don't choose Angie, Templar. She chooses you. Oh, I see. Well, thanks for your help, Hobson. And I'd be a little careful about walking around alone after dark till this thing is cleared up. You might be in danger. Unless, of course, I was the author of these letters. There's always that possibility, yes. In any case, I wish you success. In any case? In any case. The ivory tower has come crashing down. This bruised and soiled occupant has no further distance to fall. (laughs) Well, see you in class, Templar? Well, if I don't get hurt in football practice, yes. Oh, yes. Our Mr. Ritko, a character builder. A character builder? (laughs) Or a winning football coach? He combines the aggressiveness of a hungry shark with the ethics of a professional stool pigeon. A winning coach. (laughs) Uh, See you in class, Professor. All right, break it up, boys. Hit the showers. I beg your pardon. My name is Templar, Mr. Ritko. Oh, an alumnus? Well, what's the complaint, Mr. Templar? No complaint, Coach. Just a little information. Oh, (laughs) you want to know why we dropped two games last fall? Well, the ball was slippery and our quarterback was stupid. Not that kind of information. I, I wanted some information about Angela Barnhart. Angela and you, as a matter of fact. You're pretty nosy even for an alum. Come on in the office. Oh, thank you. 
You haven't been writing me letters on the subject of Angela. Mm, so you got one, too. May I see it? Sure. Here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty nasty. Oh, I've gotten worse. You should see them when I lose a football game. The man who wrote this might be dangerous, Ritka. I can handle myself. Yeah, you look like you can. Any aversions to telling me what there is between you and Angela? None. Except that it's none of your business? Hmm? Oh, yeah. Her, her father asked me to investigate these letters. Oh, good old Buzz. I met Angie through him. He's the kind you find on every campus, if you're unlucky. He's still back in 1926 when he was a star. Nobody knows anything about football but him, least of all me. What about Angie? She's the kind you meet on the campus if you're lucky. Aren't you a little old for her, Ritko? She likes it that way. Couldn't this be trouble? It's worth it. All these notes were typewritten. You don't have a typewriter, do you, Coach? Look, these letters were written by a nut. I didn't have time to go to class when I went to college, but I'm smart enough to figure that. Am I nutty enough to be doing it? Forty-three coaches last year had nervous breakdowns. A lot more are acting strange, but the man with the net hasn't gotten them yet. Am I one of them? <laughs> I'll pay your money and take your choice. Now, beat it. I'm busy. You're a hard man, Mr. Ricker. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, there you are, Templar. I'd heard you'd come down to the gym. Uh, how are you, Mr. Barnhart? Buzz. Oh, you've met our friend Ritko. Oh, arms around the neck chums, Buzz. Good, good. Templar, Angela's waiting outside. She wants to meet you. I'm sure the desire is mutual. But uh, don't you want to hear about... Well, tell me later. Right now, I'm going to stay here and show Ritko some plays Pop Warner used in the single wing. Some real plays, Ritko. Oh, sure, Buzz, sure. Jim Dandy. The trouble with you, Ritko, is that you don't understand the fundamentals of the... Well, what are you waiting for, Templar? A break in the conversation. Run along, Templar, and I wish you luck. You'll need it. And you too. <laughs> this, <laughs> I'm used to it. Angie, you're not used to. Right, Buzz? Badly put, but right. Now, here's an off-tackle smash. Uh, sorry I can't stay with you happy people. Well, what was that you were going to tell me about Oh, some plea. You would be Simon. Yeah, and, uh... You would be Angie. Yes, you very definitely would be Angie. Heard a lot about you, to coin a cliché. And now what do you think? I don't know you well enough to tell you. Well, then let's get better acquainted. Come on, walk me to class, Simon. I hope it's a long walk and a short class. <laughs> You're very smooth, Simon. Lots of practice? Yes, yes, you've had lots of practice. Uh, don't you think we'd better talk about uh, the letters, Angela? We must. I don't consider them particularly important. They're ugly and they're stupid and they're written by a man. That's all I know. Why are you so sure they're written by a man? Because they're ugly and stupid? Yes. But not you, Simon. Not you. Angie! Angie, I've been looking for you. Oh, hello, Jim. Uh, Jim Fuller, Simon Tim. Oh, how are you, Jim? Great. <laughs> you work fast, Mr. Temple. Now, don't make a scene, Jimmy. Scenes? Scene? What do you expect when you practically push my face down in the dirt and rub my nose in it? No one's asking you to keep bringing your face around, Jimmy. Angie, Go I... away, Jimmy. Go away. All right, Angie. I'll... See you later, maybe. Wasn't that a little cruel? Oh, Jimmy's a child. Really a child. And you're pushing 70, of course. <laughs> don't talk down to me, Simon. And don't try to erect any barriers by talking about my age. People only erect barriers who are frightened. Psychology one? Experience two. Meet me tonight at the stadium, Simon? Oh, uh, game tonight? No game. 
Just ask. We can climb the stairs to the press box and look out over the whole campus. Not afraid of heights, Simon? Just high heels, my dear. <laughs> I'll see you around nine, Simon. Well, don't keep me out too late. I've got to carry the ivy this year. Carry the ivy? <laughs> College slang of another day. Meaning to graduate. I'll get you home very early, Simon. In fact, I'll take very good care of you. I'll see you tonight. See you tonight, Angie. Ooh. A little warm today. Now the Templer. Who's that? Jim Fuller. Oh. How are you, Jim? Don't try to be friendly, Templer. I know you're going to meet Angie. Oh, I shouldn't have bragged to the boys at the frat house. Not funny, Templer. Oh, I suppose it didn't. I'm sorry, Jim. It's all right. I don't count. I'm worried about Angie. Oh, come on. We can talk as we go, Jim. It's... It's not natural to be like she is. Give you a rough go? Not only me, all men. It's kind of like she's revenging herself on him for something. How about this, uh, well, this preference for older men? That's her pattern. Hobson, Ritko, you, and a lot of others. Mm -hmm. How long does it usually last? Not long. She cuts them up, too. What causes it, Templar? What is it? I help her, but I can't reach her. What's the matter? Over by the light tower alongside the stadium. Hmm? I don't see him. Lying on the concrete. Come on. Huh? It's a man. Yeah. It was a man. Before he fell from a long way up. Who is it? Better not look, Jim. It's pretty nasty. <laughs> Professor Hobson. Hobson? What happened to him? He fell or jumped or was pushed. Whatever it was, he won't be able to tell us. He's dead? The ivory tower has come crashing down. Looks like the writer of these letters wasn't fooling, Jim. Find Angie and take her home. I've got work to do. Good morning, Dean. Oh, Templar. Sit down, sit down. Thank you. Shocking thing about Hobson. Shocking. Accident, of course. What makes you think so? My dear fellow, Hobson was one of our professors. How could it be anything else? Dean, do you think he was climbing light towers at the stadium just for exercise? Officially, yes. Actually, no. But whatever it was, I don't want to know. I mean, well, the good name of the university, Templar. You can see that. The man has been killed, Dean. The police are investigating. But we don't need to tell them about the letters, do we? Uh, that is to say... Do we? I'm afraid we do, Dean. Hobson didn't fall from the light tower. He fell, but from somewhere else. His body was moved to the base of the tower. You're making things up, Templar. It was an accident. I think it was murder. Murder? Templar, I must ask you not to use that word. No state man was ever murdered. Keep that in mind. Now, uh, I'm very busy this morning. Dean, Remember, uh... Templar, in this country, a boy can be anything he wants to be, if he makes up his mind to it. Study hard. Save your pennies, 
And you'll get there. Swell. And now, if you'll excuse me, I... Oh, uh, by the way, Templar, here's a note for you that was left at my office this morning. A note for me? Oh, thank you. Hmm. I know all about you and Angie. If you don't stop seeing her, I will... Uh, yeah. well, it looks like I'm on the list, Dean. Another letter written in poison. I don't believe it. Look here, read it for yourself. No, 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 I don't want to read it. I... Templar, if it's someone in this college, then somehow I've failed, haven't I? I mean, this age, these times, things have somehow gone wrong, haven't they? Yes, Dean. Somehow things have gone very wrong. Looking for you. Oh, hello, Barnard. I've been looking for you, too. I got a little note this morning, dripping with venom. No. There's a force of evil loose on this campus, Templar. You've got to find it, and quickly. Spring football practice starts next month. Oh, we'll clear it up before then. Uh, tell me, how's Angie taking Hobson's death? How should she take it? What was Hobson to her? More than a friend, I should say. True, but Angela's not for brooding. She wanted me to remind you that you didn't keep your date last night. Hardly. She said she would be at the same place tonight. Didn't tell me where, but I guess you'd know. Yes, I suppose I would. Fine girl, Angela. You're lucky that she singled you out for attention. She has, you know. You're very lucky. <laughs> I could be the luckiest man in the cemetery. Say, you could at that, Templar. Well, that's the way things go. That's just the way things go. Yes, sir, that's just... Buzz, if you don't mind, I haven't gone yet. <laughs> I'll see you at the 50-yard line. Hello, Mr. Templer. Jim. Well, it seems I meet you at the same spot every night. I know you're going to meet Angie. I followed her. I saw her go up to the press box. Well, you seem to get around, Jim. Now, tell me something. Where did you find Angie last night after I told you to get her and take her home? She wasn't up in the press box. No. She was coming from the other direction. Uh, I'm glad. Why? You think Professor Hobson jumped from the press box? Jumped? No. Would you do me a favor, Jim? Wait at the foot of these stairs. Don't let anyone come up. Would you do that? Why should I? Because I think I can solve this thing tonight. Is that reason enough? Oh, sure. Good. Wish me luck. Huh? Not with Angie. Just luck. See you later, Jim. Anybody here? Just me, son. Oh, Angie. You short of breath, son? Yeah, the stairs. Oh, what a disappointment. <laughs> Where are the lights, Angie? There aren't any. You're the first one who ever wanted any. Angie, I want you to listen and answer my questions. I didn't come up here to hold hands with you or whatever it is they're doing in college these days. Same thing as in your day, Simon. Angie, a man's been killed. I don't know how to make it register with you or how to get you to drop the role of the femme fatale and face reality. A man's been killed because of you. I know, and 
I'm afraid, Simon. Good. Terribly afraid. Good. That's a start. But you're the key to this, Angie. What you are and what made you that way. This may sound strange, but... <laughs> Do you remember your mother? A little. My father was mean to her and I hated him for it. But I love my father. All right. Now, what was the first thing you remember about him? Well, I, I thought he wanted me to be a boy. Football player. He didn't want a girl. Yes, yes. What was that? What? I thought I heard something. Angie, do you think your father loves you now? I don't want to ask you this, but I have to. Of course he does. I think he enjoys my being able to make fools of men. He asks me about it. Men younger than himself. And do you enjoy him? Oh, I don't know. Paul, Paul Hobson told me that I was revenging myself for the way my father treated my mother, but I don't know. Angela, do you think your father is rational? Stop, stop, please, please. Oh, oh, I know, I know. Look, try and pull yourself together, Angela. I, uh, I want to show you something. Come over here. What? I brought a flashlight so you could look at this typewriter. Read the story. A young, tearing, slashing buzzsaw roared up and down the gridiron at stake today. The fury of a man wearing the number 87. This must have been left in the typewriter from last fall. Read the date line. November 8th, 1926. I don't understand. Read further. Wearing the number 87, today a football immortal was born in the fire of competition. His name, Buzz Barnhart. But, Simon, what? The person who wrote this wrote the poison pendant. A very sick person, Angie. A person unable to face reality. Someone living in the past, still in that golden moment which was never afterward equaled. A sick brain who could sit up here and see himself down there on that empty football field and write stories about what used to be. No. They were better days than you ever saw, Templar. Far better. Father. Were you here all along, Buzz? I just came up. You told young Fuller not to let anyone up. Of course, Angie's father is different. I never thought much of Fuller anyway. He couldn't make our fraternity, Templar. Didn't even come out for football. Take it easy, Buzz. Wondering why I asked you here to catch the right of the notes, Templar? A lot of criminals have it, Buzz. The subconscious desire for punishment. Nonsense. You were the only one against whom it was fun to compete. A state man. Father, how could you? How could Don't you? Don't worry, Angie. We'll still be all right. Oh, Those fools with their youth will still come flocking, <laughs> and you'll send them all away because they can't measure up to me. That's it, isn't it? Their youth doesn't mean anything, does it? You can't bring back your own youth, Buzz. Let it go. Let it go. I'm still twice the man any of you are. Look at Hobson. I picked him up like a baby, and he's 20 years younger. And I'll do the same for you. Oh, Father, don't. Stay back, Buzz. Give it up. I saw you looking at her. I saw you. You're all alike, you young men. Come here, Templar. Come here. No, Father, no. Listen to me, Buzz. Now... It's a hundred feet straight down. Let's see how young you look lying on the concrete, Templar. Let's Mr. see. Mr. Warner! Fuller, why you? Look out, Jim. Look I... out. Oh. Don't look, Angie. Don't look. You all right, Jim? I guess so. I, I dodged and, and he... Yes, I know. He made his last run. Take Angie home, will you? Well, I... Jim, will you? Oh, sure, Angie. I'll stay with Buzz. He'd like that. Fraternity brothers. Yeah, 
exemplar. I want to congratulate you on the way you've handled this thing. Exemplary. Well, I thought it was better for Angie's sake to put her father's death down to pure accident, Dean. Also, Hobson's. Not the truth. But there are times to look the other way. Exactly. Times to look the other way. Very well put. And, of course, who are we to say that they weren't pure accident? Both of them. Dean. And I'm not at all sure that Barnhart's mind wasn't sound as a dollar. After all, wasn't he All-American? Dean. And chairman of our alumni fund? What more proof do you want? All right, Dean. It never happened, any of it. Satisfied? Yes, indeed. Proves what I've always said. Can't beat a college education. Send us the boy and we send you back the man. As the twig is bent, so the tree shall grow. I'll remember, Dean. Do so. And above all, keep a sound grip on reality. Well, good luck in your final exams, Templar. Thank you, sir. You have been listening to another transcribed adventure of the saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. Now here's our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, in tonight's cast, you heard Mary Shipp as Angela and Ed Bagley as her father. Earl Ross was the Dean, Whitfield Connors, Hobson, Fred Shields, Ritko, and Lamont Johnson, Jim. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at this same time for another exciting adventure of The Saint. Good night. Tonight's script of The Saint was written by Dick Powell. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. This afternoon, be sure to hear The Big Show and Theater Guild on the Air presents The Fallen Idol with Walter Pidgeon on NBC. <laughs> hey everyone, this is OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. This particular episode of Philip Marlowe comes from January 9th, 1949. The episode is entitled, Restless Day, I Switched Up On You. <laughs> I told you I was going to get present the episode I already presented once before, and for you to email me. Well, I decided to change it, and so now I'm presenting to you this episode of Restless Day from January 9th, 1949, The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. I have to say that I really do like Gerald Moore's version of Philip Marlowe. The first time I ever heard of Gerald Ford, Gerald Moore, not Ford, <laughs> Moore, was... Uh, in an episode of Jack Benny from late 1939, 1940, and the Benny program brought in about 10 different actors to do about two lines apiece. And Gerald Moore was among those that had two lines. And it was, uh, I don't remember the scenario, I don't remember the setup exactly, but it was like supposedly... Um, man on the street reactions to a Jack Benny program. And when Gerald Moore came to reading his part, everyone in the audience, there was a hush after he delivered his lines because his voice was so impressive that it just stood out from everybody else. 
And it was just like a pin dropped after he said his line. And it wasn't necessarily a funny line, but it was a line that was given to him to read uh, for the Jack Benny show. And it was just amazing how his voice just kind of rang throughout the studio when he said his line. So I really do like Gerald Moore a great deal. And he's perfect as Philip Marlowe. He's a bit stern in his delivery. But there's a romantic side to romantic side to Philip Marlowe. He is a creature of Los Angeles. He really loves the city of Los Angeles. He is a he loves every aspect of Los Angeles, including strolling down Oliveira Street and even putting up with the smog, no less. So um, I like uh, Gerald Moore's version of Phil Marlowe's, and I hope you will too. Enjoy this episode, Restless Day. And by the way, the collectors can't count. They said this episode was from January 8th, 1949. It's actually from January 9th, 1949. They can't count because there's an episode missing between December 26th and January 9th, and that's a seven-day gap, and collectors can't count. They put the wrong date in. Anyway, enjoy the show. They all knew he was aboard the yacht when it exploded and sank, and everybody called his death an accident. That is, everybody except the corpse himself. He said it was murder. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character as CBS presents... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. And now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Restless Day. It had been a long, hard Saturday night that topped off a long, rugged week. When I finally got to bed dog-tired at 5 a.m. Sunday morning, I was planning to stay there until I'd caught up on all the sleep I'd lost and gained a running head start on the coming week. And by three in the afternoon on the day of rest, I figured that job was only about half done. But whoever it was that started riding my doorbell had a different idea. I held out until the buzzer stopped, but it was only a change of tactics, so I gave up. All right, all right, I know when I'm licked. Just a minute. Thank heaven you're in, Mr. Marlowe. Hmm? I don't know what I'd have done otherwise. <coughs> Sorry. Sorry. Here, read this. This story on the front page. What? No, down here. Oh, yacht explosion, death label accident, huh? Yes, yes. Oh. Mystery blast which destroyed the Rollins yacht at Santa Monica Friday night and in which Benjamin Rollins, noted cosmetics manufacturer, was killed was established today by police investigators as accidental. <coughs> Sorry, I spoke too much. That's all right. The explosion which shattered and sank the 50-foot pleasure boat was caused by a leaking fuel line. Rollins, known to be a chain smoker, is believed by witnesses to have continued on page 7. <coughs> Never mind, Marlowe. <coughs> I'll tell the rest. Yeah, think you'll make it? There are two frightening things wrong with that story. Well, go ahead. Frighten me. First, the explosion was no accident. That pure line was repaired a week ago. Second, Ben Rawlins was not killed. You're shaking my faith in the American press. How do you know all this? Because I am Benjamin Rawlins. 
Yes, well, look, fella, you better dial 116 on the phone and tell the police all about it, Oh, huh? no, that's exactly what I can't do. Someone's tried to murder me. If they find out I'm still alive, I'll be a target for a second attempt. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I need two things right now. One, a cup of coffee. Would you like some? No, milk, if you please. My doctor insists. Okay, come on. Yeah, there's a good, solid explanation of why everybody thinks you were aboard that yacht. Well, first, they believe my body was lost in the explosion. You see, I intended to spend the night there because Lucille, my wife, and I quarreled. Mm -hmm. But I got a call, and I had to go out of town on business at the last minute. I went out to the boat, but only to pick up some papers. I was in a hurry. I must have left the lights on. I lost my hat in the wind on the way back. <laughs> it was found. It was found in the water. Apparently, I didn't secure the dinghy because that was a drift offshore. Mind you, I read all this in the paper when I got back this morning. Back from where? Phoenix. Arizona. Figures. I came in on the California Limited. You can check on that. Marlowe, I must know who tried to kill me before they know they've failed. Uh-huh. That could be tough. Have you got any ideas? Yes, I have. It might be any one of three people. Three? For instance, Walter Pittman, my ex-partner, threatened to kill me less than a month ago in New York when I won another court decision from him. Mm -hmm. Then there's my business manager, a fellow named Slater. I almost fired him last week, the arrogant fool. <coughs> it's always when I get cross this country. Yeah, I see. So, and I'm sorry to say it, but Mrs. Rollins Husk would no doubt rather have me dead than alive. That's quite a lineup for a mere cosmetics chemist, isn't it? Yes, it is. Look, you haven't been running lipstick experiments with somebody else's live equipment, have you, Rollins? Mm -hmm. Oh, certainly not. I've been working so hard, I haven't time for my wife. <coughs> to say nothing of another woman. Oh, Marlowe, I'm frightened. I must get to the bottom of this. I'll pay you double your usual fee. Will you help me? Okay, Rollins, it's a deal. If I hurry, I might get in on your funeral. Under the circumstances, that should make somebody due for a very big surprise. <laughs> Shaving a shower later, and I checked my wheezing client's credentials, settled him down in my apartment with orders to answer the phone, but not the door, and drove out to Santa Monica, where the not very late Ben Rollins had made his home. I had a list of names, addresses, and phone numbers of people close to Rollins. That is, close enough to kill. And I decided that Arthur Slater, the business manager, was my best bet for an opener. He had been described as soft-spoken, efficient, and somewhat arrogant. And after I found his cottage on Seaview Drive and walked up to the door... I heard someone inside offering a similar description, but with more color. Mighty routine, Arthur Slater. If you think for two minutes you can throw little Angie over any time you feel like it, after all the promises you've made, you're wrong. That's just about enough, Angie. Not by half, brother. I know which way the wind is blowing, and it's a nice big wind. Nobody kicks me out, and I mean nobody. So think it over, Mr. Big. Oh, get out of my way. Yes, ma'am. Cute kid, friend of yours, Slater. Who are you? Another insurance investigator? That's right. My name's Marlowe. May I come in? Yes, certainly. All the others did. Thanks. Who knows? I may be the last. Slater, I've got three reasons for believing that yacht explosion was no accident. Not an accident? What reasons are you talking about? For one, Walter Pittman. Pit Pittman? You mean Rollins' ex-partner? You know him, huh? Well, only by name. I never met the man. All right, then. Let's talk about reason number two, Lucille Rollins. How do you feel about it, Slater? Well, you must be out of your mind, Marlowe. She and Ben fought constantly, yes. Slater, I asked how you felt about Mrs. Rollins. I don't like her. And now, what or who is reason number three? You are. You had an argument with Rollins last week. He practically fired you. And you think I'd kill him over that? Could be. Look, Marlowe, Ben Rollins drove himself like an overloaded truck. He 
had a cigarette cough, nervous shakes, and bad dreams. To me, bureau drawer eyelashes and glue-on fingernails simply aren't that important. So we had frequent arguments. Now, do you have any more smart reasons you'd like to discuss, or would you care to leave? Just one thing more. Why does your girlfriend think you're a little stuck up these days? You're becoming a bit too personal, Marlowe. Get out. I'm not compelled to answer any of your questions. There's an established legal procedure. Skip it, Slater. If I need to, I'll be back. And I'm fairly chummy with the boys in blue myself, so I'll get the answers if I want them. Good night, big shot. Arthur Slater was like a billiard ball, hard to rub the wrong way. And if he did have an angle, he was playing cagey. So as long as I was in the neighborhood and the trail was hot, I figured I'd have a talk with the Spitfire, Angie. It wasn't hard to trail her. A corner newsboy had heard her get into a cab. The cabbie swore he'd never forget her. Swore again. So finding her apartment was less trouble than unfolding a five-dollar bill. When I pulled up across the street from a place, I noticed a big car as big as the average garage and older than last year's college graduate parked in front. It was a black Pierce Arrow and someone with a mouthful of cigar hooked behind the wheel. The cigar was pointed at me as I crossed the street. When I went up the stairs to Angie's door, it was still pointed at me. But I forgot about that when the apartment door opened. Angie was relaxed. There were little glints of gold in her green eyes. And the warm lights behind her shimmered on soft waves of hair. A shade of burnished copper. Maybe she was a spitfire, but at the moment, her damper was down. Yeah. Well, Buster, you got your mouth open. You might as well say something. Uh, hmm. Angie, who do you think murdered Ben Rollins? Murdered? My mistake, chum. Good night. Uh, Just a minute. This is business, honey. Who are you, anyhow? Philip Marlowe. You ran over me on your way out of Slater's place a few minutes ago and dented my ego. Well, sue me. Who are you working for, Shamus? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. But I will tell you this, sweetheart. The explosion on that yacht was no accident. So I'm checking up on wives who'd rather be widows. Lucille Rawlins? Mm. Nuts. She was rolling in dough either way. She hated her job, but she sure didn't have to kill to quit. Get your compass fixed, Marlowe. Wrong way, huh? Well, suppose Lucille were in love with, uh, Pittman, maybe. Pittman? Who's he? Shot in the dark. Tell me something, Angie. Your boyfriend Slater has picked up a lot of push lately. How come? Oh, some big deal they've been working on at the plant. And he makes me sick. Gets the first sniff of a success, and suddenly all his hats are too small. Especially his old hats, honey. And you can't blame the guy if he's really on his way up now, can you? Listen, Mac, I'll tell you, him, and the whole world something. Nobody is going to put little Angie on the skids. If there's a heave-ho pulled around here, Mr. Hotshot Slater himself will get it. And right in the neck. So if you happen to be snooping for him, Marlowe, you can putter right back and tell him so. Now beat it! That's not a bad idea. Oh, by the way, what's Angie stand for? Angelica? But don't count on it, brother. Don't count on it. As I went down the front steps, the cigar and the black Pierce arrow lined up on me again and followed me as I crossed the street and got into my car. It was still pointing at me as I drove away, but after all, the street was public property and the guy could smoke a cigar if he wanted to. Well, by the time I knocked on the front door of the Rollins' home, I was braced for a deluge of tears and a session of red-eyed hysteria. So I was caught off balance by the handsome blonde woman of 35 with a wry, crisp waistline who was cool, calm, and well-collected in green slacks. She introduced herself as Lucille Rollins. Sit down, Mr. Marlowe. 
You said you're a friend of Ben's. That's right, Mrs. Rollins. I stopped by to offer my condolences. But apparently condolences aren't much in order today. No tears, huh? Not even crocodile tears. I'm not a hypocrite, Mr. Marlowe, that's why. I'm merely stunned and confused over this terrible accident, and... I'm not sure yet how I feel. Yeah, it was an accident, all right. Especially since that leaky fuel line that caused it was repaired a week ago. It has been repaired? Oh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Who are you, Marlowe? I'm a private detective, and I know a lot more than that. I know, for instance, that the insurance on the boat alone will keep you in pretty doodads for several years... And that's only a drop in a bucket. Mr. Marlowe, I think you'd better leave. And I think you'd better climb down off that high horse and listen. Because I haven't even started yet. Ben was a hated man by Pittman, by Slater, and maybe by you. And I can prove he didn't die accidentally, baby, so I'd like some nice straight answers, huh? When did you see Pittman last? I've never seen Walter Pittman. I don't even know what he looks like. Ben and I were married two years ago. He broke with Pittman long before that. But you're pretty chummy with Arthur Slater. That's a lie. Why, we hardly spoke until a week ago. You picked a poor time to get friendly, baby. Listen here, Marlowe. Our... Mr. Slater, I ran into each other purely by accident one afternoon last week. I happened to stop in at a small bar in downtown Los Angeles. Mr. Slater was there at a table talking with some man, a stranger to me. When he saw me, he came over. He seemed upset. So upset. Wait a minute. Is there anyone else here now? Why, no. My maid went out to the movies. I heard something, a noise. Sounded like it came from the service, boys. Come on, let's have a look. Well, I don't know what any... Hey! The lights went off. Somebody turned them off. You better... Lucille, look out! (laughs) Bullets which had been intended for Lucille had only traveled the width of the kitchen, but miraculously both had missed. However, it had thrown them moved out fast, because when I got through the service, boys, and into the backyard, nothing stirred, except the restless ends of a pepper tree. But a second later, a heavy, clanking motor roared on the side street. I got to the fence just in time to see a boxcar on rubber tires skid around the corner. It was a black Pierce Arrow. I went back to the house, found the master switch, and turned on the lights. Lucille, her face strained and bloodless, stood in the kitchen door and watched me. A hole had been punched in the back screen door, and on the floor was a strange object which had been used to unhook the lock. It looked like an oversized bobby pin wearing rubber pants, which didn't mean a thing to me. But to Lucille, who stared at it like it was a centipede she just found in a cream puff, it meant plenty. Ben. What? It's like Ben himself was here. Like he wasn't killed at all. What are you talking about? What is this thing, anyway? I... I don't know. Part of some new invention he was working on. For the last month, Ben carried two or three of these things with him everywhere. Look, Lucille, where's your phone? Right there. Oh. But, Marlowe, you... You don't suppose... Who are you going to call? friend of mine. He'd better be in, too. Oh. Marlowe. What's the matter, Marlowe? Busy? Yeah, yeah, busy. He's either talking to someone or he's gone out after leaving the phone off the hook. And either way, Lucy, that makes my friend very busy. just a moment, we will return to the second act of the adventures of Philip Marlowe. But first, it may have taken a little detective work finding a much-wanted man last week, but an unprecedented number of listeners seem to have turned Philip Marlowe. For Jack Benny's largest audience this season found him here on his opening show on CBS. Tomorrow night, Jack will be back with Mary, Dennis, Phil, Rochester, and Don 
for more of the fun that's made the Jack Benny Show the number one comedy in radio. You'll find him right here on CBS every Sunday at 7 Eastern Standard Time. And now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Restless Day. Lucille Rollins, the feminine target for tonight, I headed for Angie Gordon's, where I'd first seen the man with a cigar in his face, who I suddenly figured might be Walter Pittman. And as I drove, I felt like my brains had spent the night playing leapfrog in a squirrel cage. Because any way I call the dice, every one of my clients suspected of murdering him somebody else. And just to keep things from making any sense at all, I suspected my client. I pulled up near Angie's and saw the Pierce Arrow parked, lights and a man with cigar out. When I got close to the bungalow door, I... Knew that the lady was at home. Now look here, and that she was receiving a gentleman caller, more or less. Tell me your name is Smith, which incidentally I don't believe. And then you start asking a lot of very personal questions. How cozy. Now, please, you do not understand. There are certain things about the death of Ben Hollins that I must know. Things that mean a lot to me. How much a lot? Well, a hundred dollars, maybe. What? Now, don't tell me that's all you could stuff into that briefcase there in your hand. Listen, girl, I I must know whether that explosion on the boat was an accident or not. The police let it go as an accident? Never mind that. You are Slater's girl. You must know something about him as well as the other one who was here. Now, you tell me. Stay away from me, you big lug. I don't know anything. Let Let go of me. You heard the lady, Pittman. Let go. How do you know my name? I read tea leaves. And while we're all asking questions, do you mind telling me why you were throwing bullets at the chinaware on Mrs. Rollins? I did no such thing. I don't even know Mrs. Rollins. You're a liar, and it's dull as the sauerkraut. The gun in your pocket will prove it. I, I have no gun in my pocket. Here. Here, look for yourself. All right, I will. But if it's all the same to you, I'll start with your briefcase. Well, give me that. Why? So you can get to the gun first? No, because I... Uh, all right. All right, Mr. Smart Man. Go ahead and look. See for yourself that there's absolutely nothing there that concerns you. When I get my hands on you, I'll break in two. And don't look so astonished, friend. It's called a gun. Why, you little... Uh, 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 Skip it, Marlowe. This isn't my idea of returning a favor, but it, it is good business. You see, baby, little Angie sells out to the highest bidder. And no matter how I add things up, that isn't you. So exit Pittman, huh? Briefcase and... What are you staring at? That. That little gadget there. Must have fallen out of Pittman's briefcase. Uh, what is it? Twin brother of an item I found a little while ago. Rubber pants included. What are you talking about, Marlowe? Nothing, baby. Just tell me how long I sit here. <laughs> as long as you like. Now. You see, Marlowe, I just can't afford to let you get to Pittman ahead of me. Yeah. That good business you were talking about. Uh-huh. After all, a gal's got to make a living. One way or another, Marla. Doesn't she? There was room to debate Angie's point, but no time. So I skipped her invitation for a drink. Both promised and threatened to see her again and headed for my car in the only direction left. The residence of the local pivot man, Mr. Arthur Slater. When I got to within a block of the place, I parked and then approached slowly, keeping to the shadows all the way. But the house turned out to be as dark and quiet as the inside of a coffin. 
I was about to leave when some noise a dozen yards behind me said that I was no longer alone. I turned quietly and got ready for what I figured would be a reunion with my old buddy, Walter Pittman. But I was wrong. Sneaking through a nearby clump of orange trees with all the deftness of an ox with bunion trouble was no one else but my client, Ben Rollins. When I called his name out loud, he ran toward me, arms and legs flailing the wind like a Kansas scarecrow caught in a tornado. Marlow, Marlow, I've been looking all over for you. Rollins, why aren't you back in my apartment where you're supposed to be? I couldn't wait any longer. I was afraid something had happened to you. When you didn't call, I was sure of it. I thought you might be here at Slater's. But I did call, and all I got was a busy signal. Oh, about an hour ago. Why, that was a friend of yours. He wanted to know if you'd play cards with him tonight. (laughs) How do you believe me? Well, for the time being, yes. Incidentally, Rollins, do these mean anything to you, these oversized bobby pins? (gasps) Good Lord, the curlers. Where did you get those curlers, Marlowe? They should be in my safe. Well, I found one at your house and the other in a briefcase that belonged to Walter Pittman. But, Marlowe, these are samples of my newest invention, these hair curlers. They can produce a home permanent wave overnight that will last for six months. (laughs) It's it's worth millions to me. (laughs) If you live. Yes. Now, it should be easy to figure out who wanted to kill me. I'm not so sure. If you didn't even know these were missing, why should someone have to kill you to get hold of them? And second of all, how come the shooting's still going on? What shooting are you talking about? Over at your place. Somebody tried to kill your wife there just before I called you. And that brings us right back to your alibi about talking to Ibarra at the time. It's a little too pat, Rollins. Besides, that curler could very easily have dropped out of your pocket. Why should I shoot at Lucille? The best reason in the books, you wanted to kill her. And when that yacht business almost boomeranged on you, you still hadn't changed your mind. And that led to this whole routine with me double-billed as Patsy and star witness both. You're out of your mind, Marlowe. I couldn't have set that explosion on the yacht as a trap for Lucille. Why not? Because it was on account of me that Lucille wasn't on the yacht herself that night. What? After we argued, we decided not to spend any more time under the same roof. Lucille said that suited her fine and she'd sleep on the yacht. We let it go at that till about noon on Friday. And you got small about things and said the yacht was yours, maybe? That you'd sleep on it? Uh, yes. I was just bickering. Just a minute, Rollins. I've heard enough, and I think I finally understand this whole screwy deal. I'll know for sure just as soon as I can make one single phone call to your house. We'll get back to Slater. Come on. When I got to a telephone and threw to the maid at the Rollins place, I was almost positive that in another minute I'd have both a solid answer for my client and a couple of clumsy customers for the law. When the shaky voice at the other end of the tube told me that Lucille had just left the house in high gear, after mumbling something about a place called Inspiration Point, I stopped being confident and started to worry. And when I tossed the jackpot question at the maid and got the winning answer, that worry became something worse, and it must have showed. What is it, Marlowe? What did you find out? Too much to explain now. Where's Inspiration Point, Rollins? About a mile south of here, Mm -hmm. straight along the shore. Good. What kind of a car does your wife drive? A blue Nash. What's Inspiration Point got to do with Lucille, Marlowe? Everything. Now, look. You call the cops and tell them to get out there as fast as they can. Do you get me? As fast as they can. Inspiration Point turned out to be an acre of windswept rock that overlooked the cold January sea. After I saw Lucille's empty car, I crept, staggered, and fell down the narrow winding trail... It led from the road to the promontory itself. I was afraid that I was going to be too late to stop what I was sure was a hastily scheduled murder. 
But a minute later, when I rounded the last crazy turn in the trail, I felt better. Because standing only a couple of yards away from me, her hair slapping wildly against the upturned collar of her coat, and very much alive was Lucille Rollins. I was about to breathe a sigh of relief when suddenly I caught the expression in her eyes. I turned to follow the line of her unblinking gaze, and I knew that I hadn't arrived any too soon. Because the lady was being held at the point of a gun. A gun held by Arthur Slater. I closed my hand tight around the cold thirty-eight in my pocket and moved closer. When you called me at the house, you said that my husband was alive and with you. Why did you lie to me? Because I knew that would bring you running. I had to be alone with you, Lucille, so I could do what I missed doing last time. Last time? You mean the yacht? You did that? Yes. But somehow or other, Ben was out there instead of you. So that accident was a waste of time. But this one, the bereaved wife who jumped or fell to her death from the edge of Inspiration Point, won't be. But why, Slater? Why do you want to kill me? There's no time to explain, Lucille. And we'll take time, Slater. Marlow, you! Yeah, me! Marlow! Marlowe, he's going to kill me. Yes, honey, I know. He had to. Why, Marlowe, why? Because he stole your husband's invention to sell the wall of Pittman. He was going to go into business with him. And now when the cops get here, he's going first to a hospital and then to jail. A grand larceny and attempted murder. Attempted murder? What about Ben, Marlowe? Ben was a near miss, honey, nothing more. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Lucille found out that Ben was still alive. There were a lot of tears and promises to be good from both parties. And it wasn't until an hour had gone by and the police had already booked both Slater and Pittman, who was picked up heading back for L.A., that Mr. and Mrs. Rollins were in the condition to sit down and talk things over, even with the help of coffee and cigarettes in the Rollins' home. And the whole scheme, Marla, was designed by Slater, who, as my business manager, had access to the new curlers. That's right. Knowing how Walter Pittman felt about you... Slater secretly contacted him to handle the manufacturing end, you see? Oh, yes, I see. Mm. Well, a few changes in the design, and the whole thing would have been patented and on the market while you and Slater... Who pretended that Pittman was a stranger to him. Uh-huh. Were still laboring away at last-minute changes. And when we learned about Pittman's product, Slater would act as surprised as Ben here. Ah, you're so right, Lucille. That was the plan. <laughs> oh, but it fell apart. See, it fell apart when you accidentally ran into Slater in that small bar in downtown L.A., do you remember? Yes. When he was with Pittman, the man you described to me as the stranger? Yes, of course. All right. Well, he realized then that with Pittman's product a success, you would sooner or later see a picture of Pittman, the newly rich inventor, and recognize him as the man you saw with Slater before Pittman's product was on the market. So that meant that Slater either had to get rid of Lucy or give up his entire plan. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Have you got a match, Mr. Mo... No. No, I'm going to give them up. But Marlowe, was Pittman involved in the murder attempt, too? No, no, no. He drew the line at the theft. See, when he found out that you had died mysteriously, he turned up here to check on Slater because he couldn't afford to be mixed up in your murder. I see. But how did you figure all this, Marlowe? Well, after I had tangled with everybody, I was no place. Angie Gordon was looking for an angle. You, Lucille, were getting shot at, poor darling. Yeah, and Pittman and Slater were not on the same team. At least as far as the business on the yacht was concerned. Nobody seemed to have a clear-cut motive. But when I told you that Lucille herself was supposed to stay on the yacht that night, you had the answer. That was the time. After I called your house and asked the maid the jackpot question, which was, who aside from you, Ben, knew that Lucille was going to sleep on the yacht Friday night? She said Slater, didn't she? Yeah. Said something else, too. She also said that you had left for Inspiration Point in a big hurry. Yes. 
Then Slater tried to kill me first on the yacht, second in the house here, and finally out on the point. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it worked out fine, darling. Because the third time was the charm. For us. Well, by the time I was through tying in all the loose ends for my client and his wife, it was three o'clock in the morning and I was dog-tired all over again. When I got into my car and started away from the place... Ben and Lucille were standing in the doorway, waving at me and smiling. So as I drove back toward L.A., I forgot about the sleep I was missing and thought about them. A couple who couldn't get along until one or the other of them had been robbed, dynamited, and shot at. Yeah, I guess it's really so. As the old bromide has it, the path of true love never does run smooth. Uh, smoothly. It's smooth. Oh, well. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, stars Gerald Moore, and is produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Lorette Philbrandt, Edgar Barrier, Virginia Gregg, John Daner, and Jack Moyles. The special music was by Richard Arunt. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... Somewhere in the cold, persistent rain that made the city itself seem a thing of evil, a girl had disappeared, and it was my job to find her. But before I did, I found death and a devil. The Jack Benny Shows on CBS Sundays at 7, Eastern Standard Time, and comes right in the middle of 90 minutes of wonderful comedy on CBS's new early Sunday evening lineup. Immediately preceding Jack's show, you'll find Spike Jones and a Spotlight Review at 6.30 Eastern Time. And following the Benny Show, Amos and Andy take over with their inspired humor. Listen to Spike Jones and Amos and Andy over most of these same CBS stations tomorrow flanking Jack Benny. They add up to 90 solid minutes of merry Sunday listening on CBS. Now, stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. To Box 13, care of the Star Times. I am desperately in danger, I'm sure. I'm afraid to go to the police right now. 
So if you'll really go anyplace and do anything like your aunt said. If you'll really go anyplace and do anything like your aunt says, please meet me tomorrow at 6 in the evening at the corner of Gateway and Lakeview Boulevards. Constance McLean. You didn't know it then, but this was one time, Holiday, you had your work cut out for you. And now, back to Box 13 and Dan Holiday's newest adventure. I guess I was asking for it when I put that ad in the Star Times. But I wasn't asking for what happened this time, and I don't want it again. You see, it was, well, might as well start from the beginning, and Susie saying... Constance McLean. That's a pretty name, Mr. Holliday. Hmm. Well, what do you make of the letter, Susie? Make of it? Well, what do you mean? Well, take this line. I'm desperately in danger, I'm sure. Well, what about it? No, it sounds like something from an old melodrama. But it's thrilling. Maybe she is desperately in danger, Mr. Holliday. Why don't you find out? You think I should, huh? Sure. You'll be just like one of the old night irritants. <laughs> Night's errant, Susie. What's the difference? They both hunted for trouble, didn't they? Well, what's good enough for a night errant is good enough for me. I'm sorry I can't oblige you by dashing off on a white charge and wearing a tin suit. <laughs> but so long anyway, Susie. <laughs> The intersection of Gateway and Lakeview Boulevards was in the fashionable suburb of the city. The kind of a neighborhood where money is the root of the most important family trees. I looked at my watch. It was six exactly. Then I heard someone coming. I waited. It was about dark. The shadows of the trees kept me from seeing who it was whispering. But a couple of seconds later... I, uh, hello. Oh, good evening. You're, uh... Constance McLean. Oh, no. No, my name's Barbara Rodney. Uh, Constance is over there. Oh, I see. Well, I'm... I'm box 13. Uh-huh. Well, what's the matter? You're different. From what? From what we thought. You mean to tell me you got me all the way out here to see what I look like? Oh, no. Not at all, Mr. 13. I mean... Well, what is your name? Dan Holliday. Oh, that's nice. Wait a minute. Come on, Connie. Oh, come on. He's right up here. Mr. Holliday, this is Constance. Connie, how do you do? How are you? She stared at me and I stared back. She was about 17. Not pretty. But kind of a hungry face and eyes. I smiled at her and she smiled back. It's awfully nice of you to come, Mr. Holliday. Well, not at all. I think anyone would come on the strength of your letter, Connie. Can we go someplace and talk? I mean, we can't stand here on the corner, can we? We could, but sitting would be better. What do you suggest? How about... How about Smudgy Mary's? I beg your pardon? Well, Connie means Smudgy Mary's place. Oh. Oh, I thought for a moment you said Smudgy Mary's. We can sit down there. They have tables, and we can talk. I've got to talk to you, Mr. Holliday. Just a minute, Connie. What kind of a place is this, Smudgy Mary's? It's nice. They serve ice cream and sundaes and malts. Oh, well, swell. Let's go. Is it within walking distance, or do we go in my car? Well, we can walk, can't we, Connie? Well, if 
If you think it's safe for me. Safe? What's the matter? We'll go in your car, Mr. Holiday. On the way to Smudgy Mary's, I tried to draw Connie out. But she was determined to wait until we got to that paradise of ice cream and malts. The two kids chattered away, and I gathered they both went to a fashionable and ultra-ultra finishing school in the neighborhood. Then I found myself in Smudgy Mary's. Kids were all over. Nice-looking kids. And the usual jukebox. Connie and Barbara guided me to a table in the back, and we sat down. What'll you have, Mr. Holliday? What's huh, especially of Smudgy Mary's? You want one? Mm, if you do, Connie. I... No, I don't think so. Just a lemonade. Barbara? Mm, a double malt with chocolate ice cream and whipped cream on top. I'll go over and tell Mary. <laughs> we call her Smudgy because she's always got a smudge on her nose. I'll be right back. All right, Connie. Want to talk now? Right. Here, you read this. She took a crumpled piece of paper from her handbag, shoved it across the table to me. I opened it. There was a message that read, If you don't get a thousand dollars from your parents, they'll never see you again. The letters were cut from magazine and newspaper print. I read it twice, then asked, How did you get this, Connie? It, it came to the school for me. When? Yesterday, just before I wrote the letter to you, Mr. Holiday. Who knows about this? Just Barbara. She's my best friend. And how are you? All right, Connie. As soon as we leave here, we're going to the police. Oh, no, please. Please, Mr. Holiday, we mustn't. Why not? Well, if I did, well, well, Mother would have to know. Don't you think she should? No, she mustn't. Why not? Well, she... She isn't well, Mr. Holiday. Well, something like this would... Well, it'd make her worse. But this is very serious, Connie. Then you help me. Now, look, Connie... You're not helping other girls who may be in your position someday. Let the person who wrote this get away with it this time, and he'll try it again. Mr. Holliday, if you go to the police, I'll, I'll kill myself. I stared hard at her. Her face was more hungry than ever, and her eyes were scared. Then Barbara came back with the orders. Here we are. I brought you a specialty, Mr. Holliday. Uh, thanks, Barbara. Babs, Mr. Holliday wants to go to the police. <gasps> Sit down, Barbara. Yes, sir. Now, Connie, have you anything else to tell me? Well, I... Today, someone called me on the phone. It, it was a man's voice. He said, I should have the money by the day after tomorrow or, or I'd be sorry. That's right, Mr. Holliday. I was there when the man called. Did you recognize his voice, Connie? No, I never heard it before, I'm sure. It, it had kind of an accent. Do you know anyone that speaks like that? No, I, I said I didn't recognize him. Where are your father and mother? They're, they're away. Where? In, in Michigan. For how long? They'll be gone about two months. I see. This man said you'd have to get the money by the day after tomorrow, is that right? Yes. Well, Mr. Holliday, I'm scared. Why are you afraid to go to the police, Connie? I'm afraid of what will happen if I do. To you? Yes, to me. Yes, she was scared, all right. She didn't touch a lemonade and... I couldn't touch the specialty of the house. You see, I wanted to be alive the next day. A little while later, we left Smudgy Mary's. We didn't say much. Connie, because she was scared. Barbara, because she was scared. And I? Because, well, I had an idea. It 
was after eight when we pulled up in front of the school where they lived in the dormitory. Connie and Barbara got out of the car. What should I do, Mr. Holliday? You sure that man said day after tomorrow? Oh, yes, I know he did. Hmm. All right, Connie, I'll do what I can. You'll help her, Mr. Holliday? Of course I will, Barbara. Now you two run along. I'll wait till you get inside. Go on now. I don't know how to thank you. Don't try. Just take it easy and don't worry. All right. Good night, Mr. Holliday. Good night, Connie. Barbara. Good night. I watched them until they went in. I was about to close the car door and drive away when... Mr. Holliday! Oh, Mr. Holliday! That was Connie. It didn't take long to cover the distance to the dormitory entrance. Connie! Barbara! Mr. Holliday! Look! It was under my door. This. Another letter. Give it to me quick. Oh, here comes Miss Ogilvy. She's headmistress. Oh, please, Mr. Holliday, don't show her that letter. Please, don't tell. I don't know why I stuck that letter in my pocket. Maybe it was Connie's face. Absolute terror on it. But I rammed the letter in my pocket just as... And what does this mean? Please, Miss Ogilvy. And, sir, who are you? She looked at me, and I remembered my fifth-grade school teacher. The one who didn't like me. I looked at Connie. There was a desperate, please-don't-tell look on her face. Barbara was as white as a sheet. I decided to be hung for a sheep as well as a lamb, Miss Ogilvy repeated. Well, sir, if you please. Girls, into your rooms. Yes, ma'am. I'm waiting, sir. Uh, I'm in the wrong house. Really? And for which house were you looking? The, uh, the Smiths. Really? Where do they live? Uh, not here, I guess. I hope you have an explanation. Well, I'm afraid I don't. Hmm. All right, I'm waiting for a streetcar. Will that do? May I have your name? If you just forget all about this, I'll go quietly home and lie down for a while. I'm afraid I shall have to ask you to stay. That's very kind of you, Miss Ogilvy, but I have a previous engagement. If you try to leave, I shall ring the alarm and the caretakers will stop you. <sighs> all right. What do you want me to do? Nothing. But I'm going to call the police. <laughs> All right. You were in the wrong house. Why? I told you, Kling, I made a mistake. Couldn't you tell a girl's school from a private home? Besides, there's no one in the neighborhood named Smith. How do you like that? 3,000 Smiths in that phone directory, and I picked the wrong neighborhood. You should have worn a ribbon in your hair, but nobody would have noticed you. Thanks, dear. You're pretty, too. Listen, Miss Ogilvy preferred charges, trespassing, and a dozen other counts. She can make them stick. Kling, what if I said I had a good reason for being there, but I couldn't tell what it was? What would you say? The same thing I said two hours ago. Why? I can't tell you. I promised. All right, you'll spend the night in the jug. Unless I put up bail. Which I'll do. I could have told Kling, but I kept thinking about Connie. Maybe I believed her when she said she'd kill herself if I told the police. Anyway, I kept the whole thing to myself. The next morning, I went over the second letter she'd received. It read, you have one more day to get the money from your parents. One more day. That meant today. And that was all. I did a lot of thinking, and it added up to something very, very strange. I was thinking about it when the phone rang, and Susie answered it. Hello? Yes, just a minute. Mr. Holliday, Lieutenant Kling wants to talk to you. Oh? Okay, Susie, thanks. Hello? Yeah? What? When did you hear that? 
Okay, I'll be right over. Mr. Holliday, what's the matter? You look scared. I am, Susie. Maybe I've made a mistake. Connie McLean's disappeared. Now, back to Damsel in Distress, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Kling and I drove out to the school. He pondered at me to find out what I knew. I told him about the letter then. I had to. He was mad. I guess he had a right to be. At the school, we sat across from Miss Ogilvy and Barbara Rodney. All right, Miss Ogilvy. Let's hear what happened. Barbara, please tell us what you know. Well, I... I woke up this morning. Connie and I have the same room. We know that, Barbara. Yes, ma'am. Well, I looked across to Connie's bed. She wasn't there. What time was this, Barbara? When I woke up, about 7.30. And you looked everywhere for her? Oh, yes, Miss Ogilvy. What makes you think Connie disappeared? Constance has never been tardy for a class, Mr. Holliday. And I might ask what you know about this. Your actions last Barbara, night Barbara, will not... you leave, please? I'll talk to you later. Hey, Holliday, what's the idea? Please, Kling, I want to learn something. Is it all right, Miss Ogilvy? I, uh, I suppose so. I'll be in my room. Now, Mr. Holliday. Shh. Cling. Uh, Tiptoe to the door. See if she's there. Huh? Please. Okay, okay. Oh, I, I'm going. I'll be in my room. Well, that's strange. I, I never suspected Barbara would do a thing like that. What's on your so-called mind, Holliday? Some questions. Miss Ogilby, do you know if Connie had many dates? Dates? Yes. Parties, dances. No, she didn't. Why? How about Barbara? Yes. They're very close to each other, aren't they? Inseparable. But what is this leading to? I don't know yet. Now about Connie's mother and father. Yes. Do they come to see her often? Not very. They do a great deal of traveling. Uh-huh. Thanks, Miss Ogilvy. Now, Holiday, you through playing games? No, not yet. So, Ogilvy, isn't there some sort of dance coming up soon? I, I think I saw a notice on the bulletin board as I came through. Yes, next week. But really, I don't see how questions like these are going to find Constance. Oh, Kling. Yeah? What now? Are you going to ask me to the dance? Look, Kling, I'll get Connie back here, and no one will know anything's happened if Miss Ogilvy will agree not to press the uh, charges against me for last night. What? Miss Ogilvy, you know it wouldn't be good for the school if this got in the papers, would it? Not at all. Oh, great. The poor kid's disappeared. She got those letters, and you're worrying about the school. The letters gave her until tomorrow to get the money. All right, I've got all day. But I want to do this my way. Believe me, it's for Connie's sake. Well? I... Very well. I agree. All right with you, Clean. Oh, it has to be. Good. If I'm not back in 12 hours, bury me anyway. I was playing a hunch all the way to the finish line. If it worked, okay. If it didn't, then Dan Holliday was cooked like a hot dog at a barbecue. I had a couple of stops to make. The first one was at the Star Times. There I asked Mona, the society editor, a few questions. The McLeans? Are they the ones, Dan? Uh-huh. They got a daughter, Constance. That's right. And a hundred million or so. 
Where are they now? I can't tell offhand, but wait a minute. That file should tell. Hmm. The Riviera, not here. Nice, not here. Monte Carlo, not here. Oh, now, please drop the opera glasses and get to the McLean's. <laughs> All right, Danny boy. Let's see. Ah, here we are. Mr. and Mrs. Randolph McLean have left for an extended vacation in Florida. Florida? You sure that's not Michigan? Well, if it is, the Florida Chamber of Commerce is going to be awful mad. Did they return yet? No. You sure? Of course I'm sure. That's my job here, remember? Okay, Mona, thanks. I'll remember you at Christmas. Once a year is all I ask. So long. There was another stop to make. And strange as it may seem, it was to see a psychiatrist. Well, what he told me checked, but good. Then I made one more visit, this time to a telegraph office. I sent a wire to Connie's parents to charter a plane and come home at once. When that was done, I was all set except for one more little item. A long talk with Barbara. I got Miss Ogilvy's permission to take Barbara for a drive in my car. But, Mr. Holliday, why do you want to talk to me? Oh, maybe I just like to, Barbara. Where are we going? Is Smudgy Mary's open in the afternoon now? Yes. Okay. Let's you and I drop in for a lemonade or a malt. How about it? Well, I... I've really got to get back to school. Miss Ogilvy said it was all right for you to come with me. Oh. You didn't hear Connie leave the room this morning, did you? No, I didn't. And you're sure you looked all over for her? Oh, yes, everywhere. Uh-huh. Well, here's Smudgy Mary's. You know, Barbara, a diet like this will ruin my health. But come on. I... All right. Well, practically deserted. Is that Smudgy Mary? Yes, that's she. Mm-hmm. Two specials, Mary, please. Oh, really, Mr. Holliday, I don't think I can eat Let's any... try the jukebox. Any particular number you'd like? No. Anyone's all right. Okay. Come on, we'll take this table over here. What do you want to talk about? Connie? What about her? Come on, Barbara. Why don't you tell me where she is? Because I don't know. I, well, I'll bet she's been kidnapped. Those awful letters. They said that Those she... letters wouldn't have fooled a baby, Barbara. No kidnapper is going to ask for a thousand dollars, not when the parents are worth millions. Well, maybe... Maybe he was scared. Could be. But that second letter under the door last night, the kidnapper put it there? Well, he must have. Mm-hmm. Well, how did he get in? Well, I... I guess he sneaked in. Barbara, no kidnapper goes around in brightly lighted halls shoving threatening letters under doors. I don't know where she is. Barbara, please tell me. (laughs) You won't tell anyone, will you, Mr. Holliday, please? I'm afraid I'll have to, Barbara. But maybe everything will come out all right. Now we'll save those smudgy Mary specials until later. (laughs) Right now, we're going to pick up Connie. How about it? All right, Mr. Holliday. Barbara and I drove out into the country and up where the lake sits on the hills. There were a lot of cabins around. Barbara directed me to one and I stopped the car. This it, Barbara? Yes. You wait here. I walked up the path, up the porch stairs, tried the door. It was unlocked. Mr. Holliday. Hello, Connie. How are you? 
It's all right now, Connie. It's all right. Come on. We'll get back to town. Sure, everything was all right. I drove the two girls back into town. They didn't say a word. I dropped them at the school and then had a long talk with Miss Ogilvy. It was later that night when Lieutenant Kling and I walked into the McLean home. Mr. and Mrs. McLean had called from the airport. They said they'd be home in a few minutes. Connie and Barbara were upstairs. Miss Ogilvy, Kling, and I sat in the big living room. All right, Holiday. How about the plot? Going to give with it? I think we'll wait for the McLeans, huh? There won't be anything in the papers, will there? Mm, that depends on Lieutenant Kling, Miss Ogilvy. Why me? Listen, I still don't know who pulled the snatch. Clay? Oh, uh, I beg your pardon, Miss Ogilvy. What I mean By is... By snatch, the... you mean kidnapping. Yeah, that's right. You talk English. <laughs> oh, that'll be the McLean's. Miss Ogilvy, would you mind getting the girls down here? Certainly, Mr. Holliday. Connie, Where's I... my daughter? Where is she? Mr. McLean, my name is Holliday. I sent you and your wife that wire this morning. Where is she? Is she all right? Yeah, she's all right. She's coming down to... Mother! Connie! Daddy? Oh, darling! Oh, oh darling, it's oh, so Mr. Great. Holliday, we're so grateful. So I can't tell you how much. Uh-huh, oh. we'll see. Connie? Yes, Mr. Holliday? Would you and Barbara wait outside? We'll only be a minute in here. Yes, sir. Come on, Barbara. Who did it? Who kidnapped her? You did. You and your wife. What? Mr. Holliday. What are you talking about? You're insane. No, I'm not. Now, listen to me. You have a daughter, but no one would ever know it. How often do you see her? Now, see here, Mr. Holiday. About once a year, you put her in a school and forget about her. Except when you think something's happened. Holiday, you can't talk to I'm me I'm not like finished, that. Mr. McLean. That kid's lonely. And because she's, well, maybe you call it plain, she doesn't go out very much. Not many dates. I don't see what this is all about. You see, I talked with a psychiatrist today. Used a lot of fancy words, but they boil down to this. Connie wants and needs attention and affection desperately. She didn't get them here, so she thought of this scheme. Pretend to be kidnapped. Get attention called to herself. Then she'd come back with a story. She'd be in the limelight. And Barbara helped her because, well, because she's her best friend. Now, wait a minute, Holiday. We'd have torn holes in her story. She wouldn't have gotten away with it. I know. That's why I didn't tell you right away. That's why I wanted to handle it my way. If this had gone to the police, the whole thing would have blown up for Connie. That'd have been a newspaper story, ridicule for the girl. But this way, well, let's give Connie a break. And Barbara, how about it, Kling? I, uh... <laughs> oh, sure, I'm willing. Oh, thanks, Kling. You're a gentleman and a scholar. I'm a soft-hearted cop. Um, Mr. Halliday. Yes, Mr. McLean? I guess my wife and I didn't realize how selfish we really were. We, we thought we were giving Connie all she ever wanted. Yes, all but one thing. The one that really mattered. Affection. Oh, I want to thank you and Lieutenant Kling. And, well, now I, I think I'll start what should have been started years ago. Sure. But you've got lots of time. Mind if I, I cut in first? What, what do you mean? Well, you can start tomorrow. Meanwhile, I think I'll play this all the way, huh? What are you up to now, Holiday? Practice what you preach, I always say. Connie. Oh, Connie. Yes, Mr. Holiday. Everything's all right in there. Nothing to worry about. For you either, Barbara. Oh, you're wonderful, Mr. Holiday. Oh, Barbara. Will, uh, will you excuse Connie and me for a moment? Huh? Oh. Well, sure. 
Well, I'll be upstairs, Connie. Connie, about that dance. Got a date for it? Oh, sure, sure I have. Connie? No, Well, look, I'm... I'm just a little older than you are, and when I comb my hair and put on a tuxedo, I... I look like I've been in the stag line a bit too long, but... Uh, do I get the date? You? Honest? We'll make a night of it. First the dance, then... Even if it kills me, Smudgy Mary's for a special. time at the dance, Mr. Holliday? I was the belle of the ball, Susie. Everybody cut in on me to dance with Connie. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you didn't tell me one thing, Mr. Holliday. What's that, Susie? What's a smudgy Mary special? Oh, well, three scoops of chocolate ice cream, three strawberry, two vanilla. Oh. Slice four bananas and embalm them in pineapple syrup and lay them out neatly alongside the ice cream. Pineapple. Strawberry. Uh, let's see now. Oh, pour on two ladles of chocolate syrup, a huge gob of whipped cream. Mr. Holiday, I... Uh, wait. No, wait, wait, wait. Then sprinkle with nuts with a few bits of shells left in and... and... What's the matter, Susie? I... I ate an awful big lunch. Good night, Mr. Holiday. Ellen Ladd appears through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures. Watch for him in his latest picture, Saigon. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville, with original story by Russell Hughes and original music composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker and that of Lieutenant Kling by Edmund MacDonald. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in and I hope you'll come back next week. Please stay safe and do all the stuff that the CDC says for you to do and so you will be back next week because it means a lot to me. In fact, it means the world to me. Thank you.